Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Real Deal Talk, and today, this guest, guys, I, I, I'm just telling, I'm going to plant a couple seeds before I talk about a, a, a little quick message here. Brent Williams, the EMF Pro, okay, Electro, oh, give, me, give me the EMF. Electromagnetic Electro field, okay. electromagnetic frequencies. Okay. This, this interview, guys, get your pens out, get your notepads. Um, is going to be so informative with the world that we're living in right now with EMF. And he's a holistic uh, healer as well, holistic practice as well. He's got a, so we're going to get down here. But first, and here's what I'm going to do right now. You, I, I, I'm over 30 episodes in, and people are asking me now, like, J.D., when are you going to monetize it? When are you going to, you know, how many are you going to get some sponsors? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just going to, I'm going to pump out content for about a year. And just kind of go with my heart and my passion, and I'm not worried about any of that stuff. And I'm just literally not. But then I thought about it. Wait a minute. I've had a sponsor since day one, and it's my own company, Real Deal Sleep, the mattress company, you know, highest rated mattress store on Yelp in San Diego. And here I am not even mentioning it once. Spencer, why have you guys not gotten on me about not mentioning my actual sponsor? Wait until you're ready. Wait until you're ready. All right. So we do. <laughs> Anyway, guys, listen, if you like the show, love the show, and I've been getting so much positive feedback lately, I can't thank you all enough for watching and listening. Um, but if you love the show, you know, subscribe on all the platforms, like every whatever you're loving the interview, hit me with a, a, a review, any, even if it's a one-liner. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you guys are watching and listening. So hit me with a review, um, and also if subscribe, as I said. And then, you know what, if you want to support the uh, the money behind the show that actually supports all of this, which is Real Deal Sleep, the mattress company, buy a mattress, refer someone that needs a mattress. You can go to the website, realdealsleep.com, buy stuff on the, I can ship mattresses pretty much anywhere in the country right now. So mattresses, pillows, sheets, anything. If you really want to support the show, send some, send some referrals my way, introduce me to some chiropractors because they like to send me their clients. Real Deal Sleep, realdealsleep.com is the official, pays for all of this beautiful stuff in this office, pays for the, my very expensive filming crew. Uh, every single month. So, guys, if you want to support this uh, this movement that we started with Real Deal Talk, you know, uh, go to realdealsleep.com. There you go. That's it. Now, back to you, my man, Brent Williams. This interview, I'm fired. I can't wait to get into this. All right, so EMF Pro, Brent Williams, but let's start. Let's just give a little bit of history here first, like how you got to where you are now. So go back, go back all the way. Where were you born and raised? Right here, San Diego. You were? Yeah. Wow. And look, look at this guy. If you're not, if you're if you're watching YouTube, look at the look at the physique on this guy. He's shredded. You're what 40, 45. 45 yeah. ripped. So, so as a holistic, uh, let's call it having a holistic practice, you could you could look at him and say, okay, this guy's living his product, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. And I love that. You know what I mean? There's nothing worse than when you see somebody that's trying to promote something that's healthy and they're and they're either fat or obese. Trees known by its fruit. <laughs> Trees known by its fruit. Write that down, folks. Write that one down right away. All right. So let's get down here. Born and raised in San Diego. Yeah. So give me some childhood stuff. Did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. A younger sister, uh, older brother who's uh, five years older than me, and then an older sister who's 11 years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so that's kind of like with my family is similar gaps between them, about five, six years between them. Yeah? Yeah. Roughly? Well, yeah, exactly. Yep. Not me and my little sister. There's only a year and a half. So we're like real, oh, okay. gotcha. real yeah. tight in age. But, but the other my one. older two, yeah. Got it. Okay. So childhood, parents were together, not together. 
uh, not together. My my parents were, you know, uh, high school sweethearts. They went to Claremont High School right oh, really? here. Got married early. Um, they got divorced. I think I was like two or three. So I actually don't have any memories of them being married. Right. Um, but my dad, you know, uh, he bought a house just like a few blocks away from us. So we could like literally ride our bikes to our dad's house. And he was right across the street from the elementary school that I went to. So even though they were, you know, divorced. Yeah. He was a regular part of my life. Oh, that's which cool. I'm grateful for, yeah. And they obviously were intentional in doing that, right? So even though they were divorced, they said, "Hey, let's. Why don't you stay nearby?" Yeah, I mean, my dad did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, mom, what was she doing? Uh, my mom was mostly, you know, a homemaker. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, you know, she stayed home with us uh, until later on. I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but yeah, yeah. My, my dad actually died when I was seven. Oh man. So at that point, um, she had to start working. But even at that point, she would, uh, she'd go work at night and she would like clean lawyers' offices, things that, like that at night while we were sleeping. Then she'd come home in the morning, get us ready for school, sleep while we were at school, and then, you know, be home to take care of us after school. Because uh, she thought it was important for, you know, her to raise us after school versus us being like in childcare or something like that. Wow. So you said your dad passed when you were seven. Correct. What, what did he pass from? Uh, he was a foreman for a large uh, electrician company here in San Diego. He was an electrician. Yep. Uh, they built a lot of the high-rises downtown. So they were actually working on the Wells Fargo Bank building down on 4th and B. Uh, it's right across the street from like the 4th and B kind of like concert music yeah. place. If yep. It's still there. I don't know. I haven't been there in a long time. But um, at any rate, it was when it was still like all the steel scaffolding and everything like that. And basically there was a a defect with like the main power transformer. So all of the main electrician, all the main foreman, my dad being one of them had to respond and it actually exploded. Um, it was a huge blast. A couple guys died instantly. A couple guys, my dad being one of them, uh, he, he suffered severe third degree burns to his entire body, except for the soles of his feet from his work boots. Um, my cousin, uh, who's, you know, he's like my brother's age. He's a little older than me. Now he actually is older than that. Cause he was already working, but at any rate, he was on the same floor, but he was like over a hundred feet away. And, uh, the blast was so intense. He was wearing an Adidas t-shirt and it actually imprinted, you know, not perfect, but the Adidas symbol scar into his chest from the heat hitting wow. that symbol. And it like flashed it into his skin. So you can imagine what my dad got hit with. So anyways, you know, he got rushed to the burn center at UCSD Medical Center. Um, when the paramedics picked him up, he, you know, they, the paramedics reported that he said not again, because it was actually the second time that he suffered uh, a severe accident. Uh, this one was even worse. But the first time uh, I was like three or four when it happened and he, the doctors thought there was no way he was going to survive. It was considered a complete miracle that he survived that time. And then, you know, this time it happened again. So, but you know, I'm, obviously super grateful he survived the first one because at least I have memories of him, yeah. you know, you know, I got another like three, four years with him. If he had not survived the first one, I probably wouldn't have memories of him. You know, one of my earliest memories is actually visiting him in the hospital after that first time. But wow. Yeah. Dude, what a story. Yeah, man. That's incredible. So, um, and so, so on the second one, yeah, they brought him to the burn unit and that was, uh, yeah, I mean, he went straight to the burn ICU. I mean, shortly after that, you know, I mean, he was in critical condition. Yeah. He was intubated. He was put in a, you know, a medically induced coma. 
you know, I mean, he, he, yeah, completely in critical condition. Oh, and uh, after two weeks, he died. So, oh, and how, how did that affect you and the family? Oh, I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, the the way I've always described it is it turned my world upside down. You know, like literally, nothing made sense. Nothing felt stable. You know, even though he didn't live in my home, my dad was my hero. I mean, yeah. you know, he had shortcomings like any person, right? But he, he was such a fun dad, you know, I mean, like, you know, he had a convertible Porsche and we'd go cruise up the coast and go drive around. He had a lifted Toyota truck and we'd go off-roading with my uncles and cousins. We'd go out to the desert and ride motorcycles. He had a boat and we'd go like water skiing, kneeboarding on Mission Bay. We'd yep. go up to Bass Lake up by Yosemite. So he was, you know, super fun. My hero, like my best friend. So, you know, when all of a sudden that's gone, it's like, you know, yeah, Oof. nothing made sense. And so from that point forward, uh, we skipped ahead here, but let's do it. Like, wh how did you function? Did you, did you, did you act out at school? Did you not want to go to school? Do you remember how you like carried on at that point? Like what kept you going? Yeah. I mean, in that immediate <clears throat> period, I stayed home from school for a week and, you know, it was just obviously just heartbroken, yeah. you know, crying a lot and just trying to make sense of like, what happens with my life now, my dad's gone, you know? Yeah. And I actually remember, you know, when it, I took a week off and then when I was going to go back to school, I remember my mom saying, you know, like, don't worry. You know, we talked to your teacher, we talked to your classmates, like they understand what happened. Um, so like, it's okay. You know, if you get upset or something, it's okay. And she was trying to comfort, comfort me with it. But I actually, the way I internalized it was cause I felt like, um, part of me was missing now. Yeah. I, I felt like part of me was gone and like, I didn't feel whole or complete. Cause like my dad was such a part of kind of like my identity and my security and my foundation that I felt like part of me was like gone and missing. So I, I, I remember I felt like, you know, when I went to school, I felt like I was going to be naked. Like people were going to see that I wasn't whole anymore. That part mm -hmm. of me was missing more is, is how I felt. So it was, it was really difficult, you know? Wow. Yeah. And how did your classmates, uh, treat you were they all cool or you know i actually don't even remember specifically yeah. i mean nothing nothing you know nothing negative. no nothing negative happened that's good um but i don't have any really clear memories of my interactions with my classmates or anything like that and how, how did your uh, your brother and sister how did they how did they react uh i mean everybody was devastated you Just know blown away yeah everybody was devastated and then when did, when did, did you did you get to a sense of normalcy again? Did it happen after years? What do you? I mean, that really kind of disrupted things for my family. You know, I mean, after that, um, you know, like financially, it was yeah. really a struggle. My mom, who had historically only been a, a you know a homemaker, um, you know, trying to raise four kids as a single mom. I mean, the only reason we continued to live in our house is because of my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, um, you know, he would make up the difference so that we could continue to live in our house. Otherwise, you know, we probably would have, you know, ended up in the ghetto here in San Diego. And, yeah. you know, even like later on, he postponed his retirement five years because, you know, he wanted to pay my mom's house off before he retired because, you know, she he knew that, she just wasn't financially stable. Wow. You know, and then kind of like later on between like my mom hitting menopausal age combined with just like the stress of raising four kids as a single mom and, 
you know, she never remarried, but like always longed for companionship. And, you know, by the time I was like 14, she started to suffer with like really significant like mental illness and Mm. things like that. So, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of struggle, a lot of hardship, like in my home, in my family growing up for sure. And then out of the, uh, who, who kind of took over the, the, like the father role of the family? Did one of your, you were one of your, your brother, like kind of take over that role a little bit? Like like the dynamic I'm trying to figure out the, cause this is unbelievable Four, four siblings. Cause my mom did it with one kid. Me. Yeah. And I'm like the equivalent of two. I was a pain in the ass <laughs> or maybe three, right? maybe three. I was, a, I was a pain in the ass, but four, that's insane. So did any of you had to kind of take over as like the father figure of the house? Well, I mean, so when, when my dad died, I was seven. My, my older sister was 18 so by that point, she wasn't even living in the house. Her and my mom did not ha- didn't have the best relationship. Mm. So it was really me, my older brother, and my little sister. And ah. then, you know, my grandfather kind of stepped up to kind of fill the gaps financially. You know, I mean, like sometimes the power went out, sometimes the water got turned off, sometimes we didn't have food. So my grandpa would always step up and, you know, make sure that we were okay. Wow. But you know, he was pretty old school. So it wasn't like in a lot of like emotional support kind of way, right. even though I knew he loved us and he was there for us in terms of in the house. I was really the one who always stepped up, you know, even though my brother was older than me, my older sister wasn't around. So from a young age, I was the one who stepped up to like, you know, reach out to my grandpa if there were bills that needed to be paid or, you know, when my mom, you know, sometimes didn't come out of her room for a week at a time, I'd come home from school and wow make her something to eat and, you know, try to convince her to eat, try to convince her to take her medication, you know? Yeah. I, from a young age, yeah. I, I was the one who kind of stepped up and really tried to fulfill that role, I would say. And, and so, you, so what you're saying is that she kind of went into some severe bouts of depression then and correct wouldn't come out of a room for like a week. Yeah. There were times. <sighs> yeah. And then there were times where she like, you know, would have like a psychotic break and lose touch with reality and, you know, even like would spend like a week or two in the mental hospital periodically, you know, that, that was like, you know, for age 14 to, you know, moving up from there. So it wasn't all the time, right? but you know, yeah, so it was, a, it was a roller coaster. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Wow, man. So, so, um, when, like the, when she would go away for a week or something, what were you guys doing at the house? Were you just, were you guys living there by yourself? Is anybody watching the grandpa? I mean, no. Cause at that, but the first time that happened, I was 14. Okay. My brother would have been 19. Yeah. So, you know, we were old enough that we could take care of ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there was times like one of my best friends, uh, Bobby, uh, you know, we were, we, we became best friends since junior high school and high school. We, we wrestled together. We were like sparring partners and wrestling. And a lot of times I would actually go stay with his family. He had an awesome, super solid family. And, um, a lot of times I would even just go stay with them. My other buddy, Chris, who was another one of my best friends, I would, you know, stay some nights with him, but Bobby, I'd literally, you know, his parents had built, um, like a studio for him above the garage. So he had like a pool table, a couch, a whole setup and, I would literally just go stay with him for a week sometimes when that was going on, going on just yeah. to kind of like give me a, some, some sense of stability. You yeah. Know? A little bit of grounding. Yeah, exactly. No kidding. So, um, and then, w- so 
you get through now you're going through high school yeah how did that go like with um because i know how kids can be ruthless and relentless like with kids you know what i mean were the kids that knew you and what was going on with your family or let's say they knew what was going on with your mom how was how did that go with your peers in high school were they like messing with you at all or making fun or not you know only my really closest friends actually knew what was going on i mean especially back then like there was not common knowledge about mental illness. Mm. There were very little resources. I mean, like literally there was like no support, you know, even when my mom would be in a really bad shape, like we would try to get professional help and there was like really very little available. So, you know, most people had no idea, you know, like growing up, we had a, a half pipe in our backyard. You know, my brother was like six years older, like five, six years older, like I said, and like one of his buddies was planning to be an architect and in drafting. So we had like a sweet half pipe in our backyard and people would always come to our house. We, you know, after school, we'd be skating half pipe. We had like three lawn tramps. We had like a wall ride. I mean, we had like a mini skate park in our backyard. So tons of people would be around and things like that. But most people didn't actually understand what was going on except for my closest friends. So I definitely didn't get harassed about it or anything like that. I would say if anything, there was probably more of just kind of like a sense of heaviness, a sense of shame, a sense of like, you know, what do we do? Yeah. Wanting to help my mom. But, you know, again, not having a lot of resources of support available. And so when did, uh, did, did, did mom ever get like help and turn the corner? Yeah. I mean, you know, she, so after her first kind of like major psychotic break and going into a mental hospital at that point, she was put on medications, things like that. But, you know, I mean, the medications would tend to like turn her into a zombie. So she Mm. wouldn't want to take them. And then common with her condition would be like, people would think they didn't need it you know, she would go off of it. She would, you know, sometimes be in a manic phase where she'd be like, you know, yeah, that's where she would kind of get psychotic, but thinking she doesn't need everything, thinking she's operating on this other level, but would actually be like not in touch with reality. So, you know, again, when those kind of phases is when I would be trying to like talk to her, reason with her, get her to do the things she needed to do to help stabilize her. But wow. Yeah. So then, okay, so get me through high school. So you, you were wrestling, obviously, you said. Any yeah. Other, any other sports? Um, I mean, I was always big in extreme sports, uh, you know, so like yeah. I skateboarded yeah. in high school. I snowboarded in the winter. We'd go up like lots of weekends. Me and my buddies, we'd get up super early. We'd drive up to um, Big Bear, you know, we'd, we'd go boarding. Um, I was super big in bodyboarding and body womping. You know, I grew up by the time I was in fifth grade. You know, you could always find me on the beaches of Win and Sea or Marine Street. Yeah. Back in those days, Marine Street used to go off with shore break. You know, yeah. I mean? when there was a good swell, you know, be pulling into barrels that you could park a Volkswagen bug in and, wow. you know, six inches to a foot of water right on the shore. So, you know, I didn't start to surf until college age just because, you know, surf typically isn't that big in San Diego. And my favorite thing was, you know, getting pitted, being in the barrel. So yeah. the easiest way to do that consistently is on a bodyboard. So I grew up bodyboarding on the reef breaks and everything like that. So anyways, those were wow. typically more of my sports, skateboarding, like I said, um, until high school. And then once I got into high school and I started to wrestle, that's when I kind of stepped away from skateboarding. I mean, at that point I was, you know, on track where, you know, I could have gotten sponsored and things like that. But I kind of, at that point, I kind of stepped away from skateboarding. And, uh, one of my, one of my, one of my brother's buddies, um, 
was, you know, like captain of the wrestling team. When I was a freshman, he was a senior, you know, went to state multiple years. He was a stud. And uh, he was the one who really encouraged me to go into wrestling. You know, I think he just kind of like saw that I had the makeup for it. Um, And then he kind of took me under his wing and started to teach me and and everything, me being a freshman, him him being a senior. So that's kind of how I transitioned into getting into wrestling. I didn't grow up doing it or anything like that. So obviously, you know, in wrestling, there's a lot of guys who grew up doing it from a, from a young age. And so, you know, you're not going to be able to catch up to that kind of experience and skill and everything. But what I lacked in in experience, I would say, you know, I made up for in heart and training, you know, like no one was ever more conditioned than me. So. All right. So go back to bodyboarding. Yeah. All right. What, because you you just you flew right by it. What does that mean? You just lie down on the board? Yeah, I mean, like people who don't know the sport might call it boogie boarding, but okay. boogie boarding is like you know, yeah, let the white wash hit you, go flopping, yeah. and you know, <laughs> real bodyboarding is you know a lot more skill than that. You know, pulling into big barrels, riding big waves. So what you're saying is that it's way more efficient or easier to get into a barrel. If you're on, a, if you're lying down, then if you're actually standing on, is that what you're saying? Sure, yeah. Because I mean, so I mean, we don't live in Hawaii, right? Correct. So, yeah. Because I mean, are... when there's big swells, I mean, we get ten foot plus, you know, big, huge barrels that you can easily stand up in, and guys do, you know. Right. But on your typical day, you know, you're not going to be able to do that on it's... like a two foot, three foot wave when you're standing, right? But if you're bodyboarding, you still can. Wow, that's so, interesting. And then especially on shore break, guys don't usually surf on shore break. Yeah, because you, when you're right there in like six inches to a foot of water and you're right there with your board, like, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, there was this one guy who, you know, was charging the shore break with us on his surfboard and then, you know, pushed it too many times. He actually came down in the barrel, landed on his skeg, and uh, the skeg of his surfboard literally planted all the way into his glute. I mean, so he just had like a six inch deep, wide open, gaping wound, like basically to his hip bone, you know, oh, gnarly, just bleeding everywhere. But yeah, I mean, that's why guys don't usually surf on shore break. Yeah. Cause you're so, you one fall and you're done. Yeah. I mean, you can be sure. I mean, even bodyboarding, you can just because of like the impact of landing on the sand and big surf, but it's a whole other realm of injury when you've got sharp skegs and a hard board yes that's you know getting slammed in the barrel right there on the sand with you so did you did you ever surf in uh, like hawaii maui any uh no no actually like when i went to hawaii i mean i like i i did a lot of free diving and things like that Mm. but i didn't surf while i was there interesting yeah they didn't like go after the barrels out there yeah was it kind of really the context of what i was doing when i was there (laughs) Because I, I went in the military, we visited uh, uh, Oahu, and we went to North Shore. I, we got a hostel out there. Yeah. And I'll never, ever forget seeing barrels like that for the first time. And what's crazy is right underneath the water is the, is the coral reef, right? Yeah. Because that's what actually makes the barrels, isn't it? Because of the reef is so close. Something I mean, like on, on reef breaks, yeah, there's, yeah. There can also be beach, beach breaks, but yeah, in a but reef I remember break, thinking, absolutely. I remember thinking, because it was like a coral break, it looked like. I'm like, man, that that's psychotic. Because the coral, one of my buddies ate it, and he had coral rash all over him. Like, it's that close to the water. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, my favorite break growing up was Win and Sea. And then at the south end of Win and Sea, there's a big rock where there's a big rock that sticks out. It's only a left. It's a reef break. And depending on the tide, I mean, there might only be six inches of water, a foot of the water in low tide where, like, literally you're 
you're going right over the shelf of the rock and if you wipe out which guys do like literally you're landing on the rock i mean i still have a scar on my foot from hitting the reef there before but yeah but you know but you're not going to get a better barrel i mean right. it just goes off so <laughs> the, the risk is worth the reward right <laughs> it's a rush for sure oh yeah all right so all right so get me through high school how's mom doing towards the end of high school getting out of high school which where did you decide to go to college how did that happen uh yeah i mean so with my mom it, it just it fluctuated yeah. you know it was a uh, yeah it just flexed you know there was probably i don't know i'd really have to think back but probably at least a decade where you know there was just the fluxing of her yeah. status with a lot of her doing really not well you know now she hasn't had an episode like that in you know many years great so really grateful for that yeah how old's mom now uh, she just turned 75. 75. Yeah. Wow. And she's here in San Diego still? Yeah. Yeah. She lives with my family and I, so. Oh, she does? Yeah. Ah, yeah, nice. Yeah, my wife and my two boys, so. And you have two sons. How old are your sons? Uh, so our younger son, David, is six, and Peniel, our firstborn, uh, is nine. So. Nine? Yeah. How great is that? My mighty boys of valor. Yes. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Are you going to have a third, do you think? We'll see. You know, we've played with the idea yeah. of going with the girl, mm. going for the girl. Yeah. You know, we were originally going to uh, in 2020, and then COVID hit. You know, and you know, especially with my experiences of as a practitioner, you know, I really believe like the emotions of the mom, the mm. environment around the mom, the the baby feels and receives all of that. Right. And so, I mean, who knew this was going to turn into you know, yeah, such a drawn out. Mess, yeah, mess of nonsense yeah but at any rate you know we were like you know what let's pump the brakes and just hold off let this blow over first so you know you're not pregnant during this really stressful time and you know what we thought would be a couple months has turned into yeah. over a couple of years exactly. now so yeah now with me 45 and how old is she uh she just turned 40 okay yeah we had number two so we'll see we had number two when rachel my wife was 43 so you okay. still got time yeah and we're gonna get we're gonna circle back around to that topic, by sure. the way, all right, because I want to get into that as well. I'm glad, sure. I'm glad you brought it up. The whole, what like you said, nonsense and the and the negative vibration of what was what's been happening since the quote unquote, you know, pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Pandemic, yeah. Pandemic, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna get back on that. All right. Okay. So go, but let's go back to college. What did uh, you? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I originally I had a full ride to go pre med at UCSD. Really? Um, full full ride for. For academics or Academics, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, so from a young age, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be a husband, wanted to be a father. I don't know if part of it was just because of like me losing my daddy at a young age and kind of like the brokenness of my own family of origin. But I mean, like junior high school, high school, I was already like heavily thinking about that. I wanted to be a husband, wanted to be a father, wanted to be a good husband, wanted to be a good father. I think wanting to be the things that I didn't have, you know, and uh, so in school, even though my life was really quite chaotic and unstable, my my mod- my motivating force was, um, you know, I I knew I I used to think about it and I'd be like, I don't want my kids to ever go through what I'm going through. And so I was like, you know, I need to do good in school so I can earn a scholarship. I knew, you know, I didn't have any family that was going to help me with school. I need to earn a scholarship, get into a good school, 
so I can have a good career where I can help people and, you know, build a, a good stable life for my family, for my kids. And that's what motivated me to, you know, stay up, do all nighters, whatever I had to do to pull in the grades in the midst of, you know, a really chaotic home environment. So unfortunately it was like being motivated because, you know, we're either motivated away from pain yeah. or towards pleasure. I mean, right. so unfortunately it was a motivation away from pain, which isn't the best, but you know, at, le at least it didn't take me the other direction. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And there were it pieces worked. of that, but wow. Yeah. Okay. So then you got a full ride to you originally UCSD. Correct. To go pre-med. So originally, you know, Ever since I was a young kid, even before my dad died, I was one work in the medical field. I don't know why. I mean, I always loved math, loved science, um, loved the outdoors. And, you know, from a young age, my grandpa used to just plant little seeds about health. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, he would come over every week. He had, he had like avocado trees, orange trees in his backyard, things like that. You know, every week he would squeeze like one or two gallons of fresh orange juice, bring it over, you know, and he'd sit me down and be like, you know, don't drink soda like the other kids, you know, here, drink orange juice. It tastes great, but it also has vitamin C and stuff that's good for you. You can, you know, you can put things in your body that taste good, but that are going to be good for you too. So anyways, he would plant seeds like that. So I don't know. I was just, mm. I was always drawn to the medical field from a young age. And then, so basically in uh, high school, I was focused on going to medical school. Um, and then there was like a career day and a guy came and spoke and he was a nurse anesthetist. So doing the same thing as an anesthesiologist, but you know, like five years less school and a couple hundred grand less debt. So then I was also considering that. So anyways, I had a full ride to go pre-med, but then I just wasn't certain if, if I for sure want to go to medical school. Um, I didn't really have doctors around me to ask about it. But when I asked like friends, parents and that, they're like, it's a great career. You get to help people. But I kind of had a recurrent caution from them that the only thing is they tend to be married to their job, like always on call, always in the hospital. They usually don't have time for their family and they, there's a lot of divorce. And again, for me, I was yeah. like super focused on family. So I decided to uh, major in nursing instead with considering the option of being a nurse anesthetist or, you know, I figured I, I'll get a job as a nurse, work for a few years and I can decide, do I want to be, do, go the nurse anesthetist route? Or if I want to go to the medical school, I can still do that. Yep, yep. So I did it just to keep my options open. Yeah. So anyways, I ended up turning down the full ride and I ended up getting my bachelor's in nursing at Point Loma Nazarene here. So there's two bachelors of nursing programs. So there's state, um, and there's Point Loma. Uh, Point Loma was like one of the top ranked programs in the nation. So better program academically. And then at that point in my life, largely because of, you know, that friend Bobby, I was talking about his, his mom, his sister were like sold out for God, you know, not religious, but like all relationship. And she was always planting seeds. And so I didn't really know what the truth was, but I was searching. So I decided to choose going to like a Christian school uh, with a better program. And so that's how I ended up there. And so prior... Prior to that, mm -hmm. were you churchgoers, any religion in the family, anything, Christianity, anything? So, uh, like I mentioned, my both my parents grew up here in San Diego. So my mom's parents, um, they were both born in Salt Lake. So mm. all of my mom's family on my mom's side uh, comes from Mormonism. Wow. So uh, when I was a little kid, I grew up in a Mormon church. Um, and then by the time... My, you know, my dad had died by the time my brother was in junior high school, I believe it was, I was in like fifth grade or maybe he was in high school at that point. And he basically would like told my mom, he's like, look, you know, 
I don't like the Mormon church. I'm not going anymore. I was in fifth grade and I was like, well, if he's not going, I'm not going any either. So, I mean, at that point in my life, like I believed in God, but I really didn't like the experience I was having in the Mormon church. So I grew up believing in God, but I would say not knowing God, you know, not yeah. having a relationship with right. him, but believing in him. And so it was through my buddy Bobby's family where I really started to see and modeled like what it looks like to actually like know God, walk with God, have a relationship with God where it's like connected in your everyday life and not just practicing religion, not just trying to conform your external behavior, yeah. but having been like from the inside out thing that's flowing out of a real relationship. And so that was kind of the beginning of me seeing that modeled. Yep. And, and so it was kind of confusing for me, yeah. honestly, but you know, like sometimes I would go to church with them when I would stay the night on the weekend or when I would live with them for a little bit. And so that was kind of like where those first seeds were planted, where I was trying to make sense of it because it was so different than what I had been exposed to. But I recognized that it was the truth and, and, I, and I could feel being drawn in that direction. Wow. Yeah. And so then when you went to college, you, yeah. got, you chose the Christian uh, college, right? Correct. And so, okay, so how did that go? Was it like easy for you? Uh, I mean, so actually most people at that school like live on campus. Um, they usually are coming from other places. Uh, they're usually all living on campus. It's kind of like a tight community because I grew up here. Yeah. And for me, because my family was like so unstable, my friends were kind of my family. You know, my friends were like yep. my sense of security, my sense of foundation, my connection. And so, you know, I would just show up at class. I mean, I, you know, I'm a friendly guy. I would talk with people in my classes, but then I would split. So I never really got plugged into the community like people who lived on campus did. Um, but definitely, you know, I mean, I was learning, you know, whether it was science or whatever topic it was, it was always coming history. It was always coming from like a Christian biblical perspective. So definitely that was like a process of me starting to make sense of the world and trying to make sense of like, yeah, how God fit into everything. Yep. Not not that he fits into everything, but right. how everything flows from him. And so that was a four-year degree, right? Bachelor's. Correct, yep. So you went through it four years. Um, what happened on the other, like when you graduated or before you're graduating, did you have a decision to make? Do I go further to pre-med? Do I do this? Is that when your decision at that point? No, I mean, for sure, my game plan was to... Um, get get some experience in the actual field hands-on so I could see and decide for myself what way I wanted to go. Um, and then I knew that my path was, was intending to either be medical school or being a nurse anesthetist. So, you know, I did additional, um, I did additional elective internships like in critical care. Um, and then, you know, graduated top of my class, you know, graduated with honors, things like that. So, then coming out of um, the program, I got hired directly into critical care at UCSD Medical Center, which is kind of unheard of for a yeah. new graduate to do. But because of, you know, various factors, you know, I, I got straight into critical care. Yep. Um, and so, you know, if you go the nurse anesthetist route, you need at least like two or three years of experience in critical care as a prerequisite. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump straight into the most intense environment, learn as much as I can so I can make a decision. So that was kind of like that next phase for me. Yeah. Okay. So give me the transition, like the, the progression you get into that. How yeah. were you like, Whoa, was it cool? Was it like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, critical care, I mean, yeah. someone's life is on the line. They're either going to die or they're, you know, at 
very, very, very real risk of dying. Like basically if they're not in the ICU, they would be dead. Right. You know, when the sickest people come, people usually think the ER has the sickest people. I mean, when the ER gets the sick people, they push them out of the ER to the ICU as fast as possible because, you know, they can immediately try to stabilize them a little bit, but they don't have the capacity to really take care of a patient like that. Um, so it's obviously, you know, a total place of trauma for yeah. families. Um, you know, I think just because of everything I went it with, went through growing up, seeing with my mom, everything like that, even, you know, when I started in critical care, I was only 22. So wow. a lot of times families would walk in and they'd kind of freak out when they saw me like, why is this kid taking care of my wife or my mom or like, yeah, but you know, by the end of the day, they would love me because I took great care of them and, you know, loved on the family and support them. I just, um, always had a knack for, you know, really just like ministering to the family, supporting the family and then taking, you know, really excellent care of my patients being really on it. And then ICU guys is intensive care unit. Yeah. Right? Intensive care. Yep. yep. So intensive people care. who are critically ill, you know, yep. yeah. The ones who need the most, like hands-on, around-the-clock care. I mean, I mean, most of them are on life support right. of one or various measures um, when they first go in, maybe not when they're getting ready to transfer out, but yeah. like like I said, literally, like they would not survive without the kind of support that they're getting in that setting. So, And do you think that the fact that you were at a Christian school, you were able to transfer that kind of ministry type thing that you had picked up on with families. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. There's no question. I mean, I, I was always wired that way anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, from a young age, not just spiritually, but just like loving people and Got wanting it. to help people. Mm. Like I remember in kindergarten, um, there's this kid named Antoine and his, his parents were scientists from France. So he came, you know, he barely spoke English, everything like that. And I remember, you know, one time it was recess, we were playing and like this really bi- the biggest kid in the class came and was like picking on him and pushing him on the ground. <clears throat> and I was always the smallest in my class actually, but like I pushed that kid down and then, you know, said like, leave him alone and picked Anton up. So it's like, I yeah. don't know. I just was always wired yeah. where I love people, wanted to help people. Um, so I would say that was kind of always wired into me, but then being educated from a Christian perspective, I mean, it was all about like being the hands of Jesus, being there to love people, you know, like through what you're doing, not just like the medical tasks, but loving people, serving people, helping people through this really difficult traumatic times for the the patient and for the family. So definitely that was a big emphasis. I love that. So, all right. So how long did you do that for? Um, so I mean, total, I worked in critical care for like 15 years. Wow. Um, but a few years into working, um, I all all with UCSD. No, no. Okay. Nope. But a few years into, it was like around three years into working where I was, you know, working on deciding which way I was going to go. Basically at that point I had started to not started like at that point I, I realized that Western medicine wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Okay. And I had never had any exposure to anything else. You know, all I know is kind of like what I saw on TV, so on and so forth. But I, I, I saw just the repeated pattern of people, you know, not taking care of their health by the time they're middle aged, developing chronic disease, usually little to nothing being done to actually address the root issues that are making them sick you know, just slapping band-aids on by treating the symptoms with medications, managing diseases, using pharmaceuticals most of the time. But, you know, most people 
in the U.S. because of the media, because of just the way they're programmed to think. They think managing a symptom is health, and that's not health. You know, health is health. <laughs> managing a symptom with a pharmaceutical is not health. Um, and, you know, most of the drugs are so toxic, so many side effects. They're getting medications to, to manage the side effects of other medications. And, you know, it'd just be a rotating door. I mean, you know, people are usually aware of the military industrial contract complex. I mean, there is a medical industrial complex. It's an entire system where, you know, our tax dollars and the money are all designed to be funneled like into pharma, into, you know, the AMA, into this system, you know? So anyway, so okay, I, I started to kind of wake up yeah. to that. And it was about a few years in. Yeah. By, by the time I was like two, three years in again, also being at a teaching hospital, you know, there would be drug companies doing drug studies and I would see the way they would cherry pick the patients they would allow to be in the studies. I mean, like the patients who had a lot of comorbidities and a lot of things going on, those are the very people who are going to end up on the medications, but they would exclude them from the drug trials and they would pick like, you know, the simplest, no other things going on patients where, you know, they're going to have way better outcomes with those people. Um, and they would exclude the people who would be the majority of the people actually taking the drug. So anyways, there's just a lot of different wow. things where I started to see it. And then I had my own health crisis. Um, you know, I was, I was taking care of a, you know, I don't know, 260 pound, really big Mexican farm worker who had had a piece of farm equipment fall on him, a uh, high cervical injury. So he was quadriplegic. Um, above the phrenic nerve, which controls the diaphragm. So he couldn't even breathe. So he was completely paralyzed. He could only move like his face, couldn't breathe. He was intubated. And I, I had been taking care of him for a couple of days. And uh, I was picking him up in bed one day and felt something give out in my back. And I mean, I was in phenomenal shape. I mean, I was, you know, surfing or open water swimming like three plus days a week. I was training in the gym four plus days a week, you know, like on a day off, I'd train for hour, hour and a half, you know, eat, then I'd go and then I'd go surf or I'd go swim a mile or two. So, I mean, I was in awesome shape, but then all of a sudden, you know, I knew something broke when that happened. Ooh. And, uh, I, I ended, I had blown out really severely two discs in my, in my low back. L4-5, L5-S1, and basically became completely debilitated. Wow. Um, I couldn't even barely, like, get off the floor, severe chronic pain, you know. If j I'll just kind of make it quick, but, yeah. you know, they tried to just put me through the typical hoops, you know, take anti-inflammatories, yep. take muscle relaxers, go to PT. PT would only make it worse. So, you know, fast forward to being over a year past my time of injury, I was not better at all, just extremely deconditioned because I couldn't do anything. You know, a lot of nights I would like literally be writhing in pain the entire night, feeling like, you know, my leg was on fire with gasoline with oh. such bad sciatic pain. So really bad. And then at that point, you know, both an orthopedic surgeon and uh, a neurosurgeon both told me like your only chance of, you know, getting out of pain is going to be if we fuse your lumbar spine. But I just knew that wasn't the way to go. Um, you know, over half of back surgeries at that point like that would fail. And, you know, I was so only I was only 23, 24 years old at that point. Had you already had back surgeries? No, I hadn't had any. No, right? No. Okay. No. So anyways, I just knew that wasn't the way to go. Um, and so that's at that, that point I was like, you know, I got to take this and I got to figure out another way so I can actually heal. So you weren't able to work or were you able to work? No, no, I wasn't able to work at all over I'm, I'm that I'm going time. to assume that you had what, workers comp? Like, yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, disability? 
Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, like workers' comp, I believe So what did was. you do for that entire year? I mean, I would, you know, go to my PT appointments and... But again, I mean, I, w- I mean, I was in extreme pain. I, I couldn't do much. You know, were you taking painkillers? The, the painkillers or? Um, I wasn't taking opioids or anything. I mean, in the very beginning part, I was, but I don't like stuff like that. Yeah. I was taking the anti-inflammatories that they gave me. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I wasn't cool with taking anything. I, I was like, I'd rather be in pain than like take opioids or anything like that. And so. why is that? I mean, because they mess with your brain, they mess with your mind. Okay, get just, into that. They're not good for you. Go, go into that real quick. Go ahead. I mean, you know, I mean, they're depressants. They, yeah. you know, they're going to make you feel down. I mean, they slow down the bowels, they cause constipation, but just especially for the effect on the mind and everything, I, I didn't want to have that kind of impact on my mind or on my emotions, you know? And so I know all about the slowing down your system, constipation. Sure. But I, I never really thought either deeply about this or knew about it, that it affects your mind. Sure. So get into that. I mean, they're depressants. So, you know, they, they, they depress your nervous system. Um, I mean, you know, like I, we've, we've talked about, there's an opioid crisis sure. in our country. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, and it was driven by, uh, the pharmaceutical companies. They started to call, you know, pain like, the, the other vital sign, I mean, like you were taught in nursing school, you were taught in training, you know, like you have to, you have to get rid of all the pain, which just isn't r- realistic, you know, right. but like that was all drug company driven uh, to push the opioids into the market. And so basically they, they put that influence into the medical system. Then people started to be trained and like literally the goal became people should have no pain at all. And you just keep like giving them more and more medication. And then another thing is, especially with chronic pain, the more opioids people take, it actually ends up having, I mean, we're all, most people are aware of like drug tolerance. Yeah. So people have to take more and more, but it actually, there becomes a tipping point where people who are on opioids, they actually become like pain hypersensitive. They actually become more like their pain threshold actually drops and their body will experience the sensation of pain at much more lower levels. And I mean, I, I used to see patients like this where, I mean, you would be giving them IV opioid doses that would literally stop the breathing and kill an average person. And even with giving them that, it would not control their pain. And they would be like in excruciating pain total. I mean, it was like horrific. It was a nightmare. These people were like literally living in a nightmare. And there was like nothing that could be done medically, like with medications to fix it. And and that's where that can lead. It doesn't with every person every time, but definitely, you know, when you start getting on higher and higher doses for more and more time, that definitely happens to lots of people. Wow, man. So anyway, so, I mean, I had seen that, you know. And so, okay, so you're a year in on this. Nothing has gotten better. Yep. You're not working. You're going to PT stuff. You're not back in the field. Um, you won't take opioids. Um, give me the progression from there. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point I knew surgery wasn't a good option. I knew that wasn't going to fix me or heal me. And so that's where, you know, out of desperation, I started for the first time to look for alternatives. And so I started to get chiropractic. I started to get acupuncture. Um, and acupuncture was the first thing that started to get the pain under control. And it was like, because I had deconditioned for so long, I mean, it was over a year out yeah, now yeah. and like, just kind of like these 
pain pathways had become so kind of programmed and set in my body. I mean, if I would have gotten that kind of care right away, uh, I think I would have recovered much more quickly. But, you know, basically the acupuncture started to get the pain under control where I started to be able to like do very gentle swimming, stretching. Like I started to be able to move my body and do things to regain some strength and function slowly without it totally flaring up and exacerbating the pain. And then if it did flare up some, the treatment would calm it back down. So, I mean, my recovery took me literally a few years um, to like really recover. It probably took probably took a good three or four years so it was a whole process to getting to the point where i could actually like you know go swim in the ocean and go surf or bodyboard and start to be functional again and then then it was a progression of there of being able to train to getting to the point where like i can train super hard now you know what i mean um and so when you said no to the doctor for surgery was like you're crazy yeah absolutely they're like this is your only option like you nothing else is going to help you. Like we've done everything else. There's no other option. If you don't do this, you're just going to be in horrible pain and you're not going to have any function or have any chance of any kind of meaningful life. This is what you need. Yeah. They thought I was crazy, but you know, so what else besides acupuncture, chiropractic? Yeah. What what else you do? Anything else? Acupuncture, chiropractic, I mean, massage, stretching, you know, all, all of those types of things. Um, started taking herbs to support my system, you know, from Chinese medicine. So again, that's where I started to see, okay, like there's a way of like taking things that God made, taking things that actually strengthen, heal the body, support the nervous system, bring balance to the body rather than, you know, using a pharmaceutical that will really powerfully interrupt a certain pathway in the body so it can block a symptom. But because you're just kind of really powerfully interfering with a mechanism of a pathway in the body while it can block a symptom. That's why it can also cause all these side effects, you know, whereas with herbs and things, you can actually bring homeostasis to the body, strengthen the body, restore proper function in the body. Um, so yeah, that was my introduction. And then, so through my experience and through that exposure, that's where I ended up deciding, you know what, this is the way I'm going to go. So I went to Chinese medical school, um, here. So what, what year, how many years into the, because you were critical care mm-hmm. for like three, you were out of the commission for three years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And at that point you went into Chinese medicine or? Yep. Yep. So I went to Chinese medical school. So, you know, it was four years post bachelor's. Wow. Um, and then, then I did an internship in a traditional teaching hospital associated with a traditional uh, Chinese medicine school in Chengdu, China. So I did an internship there. Uh, when I graduated, uh, you know, my main education was here. It was more just to go see firsthand where yeah. it came from and, you know, get that confirmation that the way I was trained and the way that, you know, I, I had been trained and modeled to do things was the way they're doing it there. You know, several of my professors in school were from China and that's how actually how the opportunity to do it was set up. Um, one of my professors here in the U S was a professor at that school, at that teaching hospital in China and had a lot of connections. So he's the one who set it up for me to go do the internship there. But so did you immediately know like, this is I'm home. This is where I was supposed to be is the natural way of healing. Right. Yeah, definitely. Like you, it's crazy. This journey that you were on, bro. I love this of how you got there. Yeah. I mean, even from that point, there's been other layers, other layers, other layers, but yeah, definitely. Give me some layers here. Give me, give me the, yeah. So, I mean, at that point, um, 
you know, I started my practice. Uh, I also went back to work when I was able at critical care as a critical care nurse okay. to be able to provide for myself. And then, uh, as I was building my practice, so I was doing both. That's why, um, I had so many years for, for a lot of years I was working, even if it was part-time in the hospital, you know, I might work two, you know, 12, 13 hour shifts in the hospital, but then still work like three or four days in my practice. So I was doing both cause then I could get insurance, that kind of thing. And by practice, what practice did you open up? What was it officially? Like, uh, I mean, the, the name of my practice is Thrive Body and Soul. Thrive Body and Soul. Correct. To this day. Yeah. Okay, get into that a little bit. So you started your practice on the side. Uh, yeah. Like, what did you first do? Did you just start putting, how did you get the word out there that you were doing this? Okay, man, there's like a lot of layers to this. I, know. I don't know how much you want to get into it. I want the layers. So, you know, it was... Uh, the, the last year of Chinese medical school was the point where essentially I would say, you know, I had realized that doing life my own way, uh, trying to get the things that I thought were going to fulfill me and make me happy, you know, I was actually really good at getting the things I wanted, but even when I did, it, it didn't bring the fulfillment that I thought it would, you know? Yep. And then the other thing was, you know, I always had just like really high moral standards for myself. And I also realized that like, I would totally go against my own standards for myself because of like something I wanted or whatever in the moment. And so basically, you know, it was in my senior year at school where I came to the point where I like really surrendered my life to God and decided like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to do things your way. So that was actually in my last year of school. Um, and so right as I, uh, did you want to get into this? Yes. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so essentially, of course. Uh, this is fascinating. Yeah. So basically, that was in my last year at school. You know, prior to that, like I had come to the point in like believing in the gospel, yeah. believing that Jesus was. Let me away. pipe in real quick. Yeah. Chinese school. Sure. They're not Christian. <laughs> of course. So not. how did this happen? Give me that real quick. Well, aren't they? Are they boot? I, don't, I and this is I'm totally ignorant here. Are they Buddhist? What's? I mean, some are for sure. Okay. Some of the professors are super new like age. How did you? Super... With all that surrounding of Chinese medicine. Yeah. And, and it, well, I mean, it starts with like my friend Bobby's family. Yeah. And then planting those seeds, and then me going to the school that I did, and so basically there okay. was an interim okay. in between there, like yeah. that I believed in God. I recognized he was the creator. Okay. Like I felt I had experienced his presence and his love for me. But essentially there was a period in there where like I had the perception that to follow him, I was going to have to give up all these things that I want, didn't want to give up. So even though I believed I, I hadn't really like surrendered my yeah. life yet. And it was in my senior year of Chinese medical school yep. that I realized doing things my way is not working. Got it. You know, and I came to the point, I mean, I can remember like the day, you know, I was in my bedroom, I got down on my knees, you know, kind of like facing my bed. And I was just like, you know, Jesus, I'm trying, I'm tired of being kind of one foot in one foot out. I'm trying, I'm tired of trying to do things my own way. I, I know it doesn't work. You know, I was like, I believe what I hear other people saying they experience and I want to experience that for myself. I want to know you that kind of way for myself. And I was like, you know, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it even if I don't want to do it. And whatever you tell me not to do, I'm not going to do it even if I really want to do it. You know, I was like, I I'm going to do it. And I'm just asking you to, 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 to reveal yourself to me, invade my world, you know? And so basically, you know, at that point I, I had no Christian friends 
Um, you know, I had all my buddies, you know, were in the real heavy in the electronic music scene. I was too, I was a house DJ, you know what I mean? We used to like, you know, trips to Vegas, underground, like B-boy, you know, wow. house music, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was all into that kind of scene, like in the college days and things like that. And, and I just kind of like totally backed away from all of that, you know? And, uh, and then basically I, I ended up connecting finally with like a community of, of other believers who were around my age. Um, I had this whole perception like, Oh, Christians are going to be like total dorks or like Bible thumpers. I'm not going to be able to relate <laughs> to them. You know, they're not going to be any fun. And, and I thought it was just me, which is a lie, you right. know, it's a total lie, but that's what I thought. So anyways, I ended up getting invited and introduced to like this discipleship school. It was a year long program. Um, and it was literally uh, like right before I graduated. And so then at the launch of the school, they had this week long, they called it vision week. Uh, and they had this week long where anybody could come to the school for free and just come hang out for a week. And uh, so right when I graduated, I had, I had like 10 weeks to study for boards for, you know, for Chinese medicine, for acupuncture, you know, in, in California, the licenses that license acupuncturists, yeah. even though we actually study herbal medicine more than acupuncture, but um you know, that's what it's kind of known for. So anyways, I had 10 weeks, but I was like, okay, like I was really hungry. I really wanted to experience God. I really wanted to grow. So I was like, okay, I'm going to like sacrifice this week and just trust God to make up the difference, you know? So I went to it. And then while I was there, I just really felt God draw me like, you need to come to this program. And it, it didn't make any sense. I mean, it was five days a week from like eight in the morning till 12, you know? So I was going to be losing like half of my study time. I mean, in the very beginning, you went on this week-long backpacking trip to Catalina. Then there was a week, uh, no, I think it was like a two-week trip to Korea. Then there was like a trip to Mexico on these mission trips. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, it was total like a point of crisis for me. You know, like, what do I do? I, I knew God was pulling me to come, but from sight, it didn't make any sense. I was yeah. like, man, if I don't pass boards... You know, if I, if I don't study, I can't pass boards. If I don't pass boards, like I can't start my practice. If I, if I don't start practice, like how am I going to pay my loans that are coming due soon? You know, but, uh, you know, on the last day I was like, okay, I'm just going to trust you, God. And, and so anyway, so then I ended up going through this year long program that, you know, God totally, yeah, started building me up in my faith. So this was a discipleship program. Yeah. What's it called? Where is this? Uh, I mean, so that that program is not in, it's not going anymore. Back yeah. then it was called the Horizon School of Evangelism. Then later at The Rock, they started basically the director of the school and like 90% of the team left Horizon and they started a similar program at The Rock. It was called Impact 195. Um the, the, you know, the name coming from there's 195 nations. So the goal is to send people out to all 195 nations. Um, so anyways, yeah. So later my wife and I were like part of the leadership team at that program at the rock and oh, stuff. Really? Like that. Yeah. Okay. So you do this one year program. Yeah. The boards, did you pat like what happened with the boards? Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it was totally God's grace, but I mean, I didn't fraction, I didn't study a fraction of what I would have or should have. I mean, so many people study way longer than 10 weeks and fail the boards. You know, tons of people have to take them multiple times. And again, I only covered like a fraction of the material that I should have, but you know, in faith, I flipped to Sacramento, I took the boards and I passed, you know, so. <laughs> wow. All right, so, okay, so you pass. Yeah. You officially open up your practice. 
Yeah. So basically, you know, at that point, I mean, I was treating lots of people on the side, treating people from the school, you know, unfortunately I would say, I mean, you just had Colin on, he talked about this, but kind of the mindset was like, if you're serious about God, you go into ministry, you know, you don't do business. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I took mission trips to Korea, multiple trips to various places in Mexico. Um, I went to Haiti after the big disaster there. And so, I mean, at that point I had been kind of like taught, you know, if, if you're serious for God, you, you just go into ministry or yeah. you be a missionary. So I was like, I, it's like, okay, God, like, I don't, I didn't really understand why I had, he had led me through, cause I, I really felt like he had led me through my career and yeah. then into the holistic practice. I was like, okay, maybe you want to use me like to give medical care to kids in orphanages in another country. And I, I came to the place where I was like willing to do that. Um, cause that's what I thought God wanted, but basically God showed me through a process as I was serving people here and just the impact that I was having people, not just physically, but also in like, as I would be talking to them, as I would be, you know, dealing with the stuff going in their heart, going in their mind while I'm addressing their body. And just person after person was like, man, like God's really using you powerfully through this. I I don't, I, I think you should, I think you should do this. Like God's really using you. And so it, I was hearing it over and over again. And then God kind of opened my eyes. No, you don't have to go that pathway. I can use you this way. So it was a process of, wow. you know, before I actually launched, launched like my official practice. Um, because I was in that program and then I was just treating people like more out of my house on the side and stuff initially. And then after that program, uh, right after it was when I met my wife, you know, we got married. So at that point I was like in the first year of my marriage, I don't want to like full on launch a full, a full blown practice. Right. Like I want to pour into my wife and establish that. So I was still treating people on the side, working as, as a critical care nurse. And then it was like after like a year of marriage that I really launched my practice with my wife. Um, she always has, still does work with me side by side, you know, whether it's seeing patients or in our EMF business. And so uh, the practice itself, do you have an actual office, like a separate yeah. office? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so how are you getting clients right off the bat, just from word of mouth? It was all, and my entire practice only built word of mouth. I never marketed it at all. It was all word of mouth. And your main focus is uh, herbal stuff, uh, acupuncture. Give me the scope of it. Um, I mean, I, I do acupuncture for sure, but I'm much more focused on, so acupuncture is great for internal medicine. Um, but I, I use it more for orthopedic stuff and like fertility, pregnancy, Mm. labor, uh, labor induction more. Um, because if someone's only going to do one thing, uh, I think that like, nutrition, herbs, nutraceuticals are more important than the acupuncture, even though the acupuncture is really helpful. But for a lot of people, it's like, if I'm trying to maximize their resources, um, I'm, I'll, I'll, I do more of the nutraceutical. And so I use a lot of like functional medicine style addressing root cause issues that really disrupt the proper functioning of the body. Um, so it combined with like tonic herbalism and things like that in nutrition. And so, uh, with, when did you make the final move from critical care nurse? Like when did you, how many years had you had your practice before you finally quit critical care nurse? Uh, so for, for quite a few years, for a lot of years, I was still working like on the side, yeah. um, like, you know, two days a week. How did that feel internally, morally, even though you're helping people with critical care? Yeah. You still know that it's the exact opposite of what you're doing. Yeah. Masking things right 
How did that feel? Was there any type of uh, internal struggle? Like, uh, yes, I mean, I'm doing this for the money. It's kind of opposite what I'm doing over here. Yes. Like I knew it's kind of like there's good and there's great, you know, good is the enemy of great. I mean, it was good to minister to families. It was good to support people going through crisis, but yes, you know, like I recognized you're sending people back into a rotating door where you're not fixing the real problems. So I would say at that point, I was doing it more like for the insurance for my, my family, more for just like having that side stable thing while I was building my practice. Yep. Um, yeah. And so, so break this down again. Our medical system mm -hmm. is completely set up. Like the whole governing body is what it, pharma, like, does it all come back to them? At the end of the day? Is yeah, I mean, way back in the day. Yeah, get into this. Rockefeller, you know, S Rockefeller started funding medical schools. And when he did it, he demanded that they get rid of all teaching about using herb, herbs, using really? natural things that doctors used to do. Really? And it basically was like, I'll, I'll f build the school, I'll fund the school, but now we're going to bring in modern science. And I mean, like they brought in scientists from Nazi Germany, Germany and things were brought into the U S you know, and then they started building, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and Rockefeller was like one who really kind of laid that foundation fi financially. And so basically the medical system was kind of built to drive everything into the use of pharmaceuticals and literally like kind of banned the use of using the natural methods that doctors used to use, you know, here in the United States, as well as all over the world, you know, and that's what it really kind of changed the focus. And then as the system was built, you know, you know, it was, it was built where, you know, now again, where our tax dollars are mostly funneled into insurance companies and HMOs and things that are all driving the money into this medical model, into this medical system of, managing and treating symptoms and diseases, you know, and it's, I don't believe it's mostly, I don't believe it's a focus on health, you know, managing a symptom and managing a disease is not establishing health. It's not healing the body. And so how long, how many years ago did Rockefeller do that? Like what? Oh man, I think it was like the, I think it was in like the early 1900s. The early 1900s. I think so. So prior to that, you're telling me medical was actually to help, meaning... <laughs> Not, I mean, I and, mean, it, and I mean, this is the was, thing too. I mean, there's so many doctors who, you know, like they're altruistic. They're yeah. going in there with the best intentions, just right, like I course. did. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a lot of people, I think, you know, whatever they're taught to believe, like I was, they kind of, a lot of people, I think, don't think for themselves and they don't connect the dots or, you know, for financial stability. And now you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and you want to support your family and you want to have a stable living. And it's like, yep. you become sucked into the system. You know what I mean? Even if you have the best intentions like I did, you know, but I don't know, just kind of the journey that I went on. I, I think I learned to like think for myself and connect the dots and, you know, really focus on what actually works, not just like what what's the narrative I'm told. It's great. And I talk about this a lot, man, programming. You, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned it from the first few minutes of our interview today, mm -hmm. how we're programmed. Yeah. So, like, however we're programmed. So I don't judge anybody anymore because I'm like, it's okay because we're, we're programmed. Sure. Our society is what, what is it, 70% is either overweight or obese? Is that what it is? It's really high. It's really crazy high. high. Crazy it's high. It's just tragic. I mean, in kids now, I mean, it's just kids. insane. And really, it's, I mean, it's being like pushed now, 
It is. You know, like in the media, in pictures. I mean, it's kind of like promoting it as if it's like a good thing. And what, what, why the overall thing is the, the, the system makes money off of being unhealthy. Would you, would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Like the, like the main money that's generated in this country is from people being sick. I mean, all of, all of the main killers in industrialized nations in the United States are lifestyle driven. All of them. Yeah. You know, it's not infectious disease. And even when people die from in, infectious disease, it's the lifestyle related diseases that make them the most vulnerable. You know, like with COVID, I mean, obese, obesity and diabetes were like two of the biggest predictors of mortality. You know, so again, it's, it's all lifestyle driven. And so the COVID thing, talk to me, give me a few minutes on that. What's your (laughs) (laughs) touch on that? I mean, because now look at, I mean, every other radio commercial is still promoting the booster and the vaccine. So, I mean. I'll, I'll just bring it from this perspective. Yeah, give me I mean, perspective here. as a critical, as a former critical care nurse, I'm aware of the fact that 30 to 50,000 people die in the U S every year from the flu. That's just normal. And, you know, prior to COVID did, did was any sporting event, was any school canceled, was any business conference canceled? Has anything ever been canceled because of the flu? No. But 30 to 50,000 people die in the U.S. every year from the flu. But most people aren't aware of that. You know, if you look at like total mortality on an annual basis during the pandemic, there was no statistically significant increase in mortality. The overall death rate did not change. But all of a sudden, like all these deaths were attributed to COVID and all of a sudden there were no flu cases, you know, and now there's like a counter on the, t- on the television telling you how many people are dying. And then when not as many people were dying, then it became how many people who are testing positive, you know, for a virus that hasn't even been isolated and you can test virus positive from multiple strains of multiple things. I mean, anyways, there's just so much not science that's being called science. And, and it's just crazy how the media just drives all this, right? I mean, it's a whole system. It's a whole system. It's a whole system that's driving a narrative to drive it, an agenda, you know. And so talk to me about the agenda of, of, of what well, you t- you briefly touched on it, the opioid. like, Because if you think about all these big, humongous stars, uh, some of the most famous people, most influential people in history, like I'll go back to like Elvis, uh, Whitney Houston, uh, go down the list here, Prince. I mean, prescription medication, Michael Jackson. Yeah is all of them all of them you watch the i just watched the movie elvis sad very it was, sad. It was prescription meds yeah because it got them all stopped like you said constipation and he died with basically dysentery more or less right i don't even know the details of yeah. how he died but right so like what what do we do here like as a as a society people listening that are right now how many of how many percentage of our listeners and watchers right now are on some form of the medication what's the percentage like anything, anti-anxiety, anti-depression, um, something treating something, something treating that. Uh, Give me a percentage here. I think it's more than like half the population by middle age are on at least one prescription. And like, I'm not quoting exact numbers, but, and I think it's like by middle age, I think it's like at least 30% of the population are on multiple medications. Multiple. Yeah. And by middle age, was that 40? R- roughly. Roughly. You know. So you're saying at least two or three meds at that point. 
Yeah. So half so of our people. watchers and listeners are are on meds. Possibly. Possibly. Depending on your audience. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that's just and I hate to laugh about it. It's it's scary and it's sad at the same time. All right, so let's get into your practice now. Let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, how did you get into the EMF, EMF thing? Yeah, so I mean, I, I started my holistic practice, you know, more than 15 years ago. And then it was, a f- it, it was a few years into my practice, more than a decade ago, that I started to recognize people having EMF-related symptoms mm. and started, you know, looking into ways to mitigate that impact and, and, and to be able to deal with it. In the early days... A lot of the focus was avoidance, which, you know, more than a decade later, a lot of people, that's still the strategy they're trying to take, which, you know, isn't effective. You can't avoid EMFs now, even if you try to. Right. Um, but in early, early days, that was one of them. You know, like I would tell, I would teach patients, you know, don't sleep with your head, you know, within a foot or two, a foot of the wall, try to be at least a foot or foot and a half away because, you know, if there's electrical wiring going through, going through the wall, you know, that, that electrical EMF, you know, essentially all the EMFs are a chaotic energy and our bo- the human body functions first and foremost energetically. Yep. I mean, our central nervous system controls everything. How does it control it? Through electrical impulses. You know, I mean, when your heart beats, you know, everyone's familiar with the EKG. Yep. First, the electrical impulse goes through, then you have the mechanical conduction of the heart muscle. So, you know, our body functions first and foremost energetically, even our cells, um, they, 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 they're polarized, they have energetic charges. So everything in our body, there's a big energetic uh, connection to how our body works. So when you're introducing man-made energetic sources, they're different than natural EMFs. Most natural EMFs, such as solar radiation, is unpolarized, meaning, meaning it's a balanced energy, right? Yep. Um, so like if you go outside, I mean, you can overdo it, but if you go outside and you stand, and you stand in the sun, how do you feel? Uh, um... I don't know, hot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, usually people will feel like energized, like it'll yeah, raise good. their mood. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll energize them. Your body will make vitamin D. You know, you put yep. somebody somewhere like Seattle where the sun doesn't come out, you know, like low vitamin D levels, weakened immune system. There's high, high levels of depression, high, high levels of suicide. You know, m- people's moods are down. So, the solar energy is actually good for us. Again, you can overdo it. Yeah, it can be hot outside yeah. or yeah, you can get burned, but I mean, it's actually good for you. How do you feel if you sit under fluorescent lights? I mean, that's, you know, everything's more like LED now, Yeah. but fluorescent lights were classic for people getting drowsy, getting brain yeah. fog, not being able to think clear, feeling down, wanting to just get outside, getting headaches, super common. You know, what's the difference? Well, the fluorescent light, it's a chaotic energy. Mm. You know, there's, ions that are oscillating millions of times a second back and forth between the sides of it. So it's, it's a polarized energy. It's a chaotic form of energy. So the bottom line is man-made EMFs are very chaotic and they disrupt the innate energetics of our body. They disrupt our central nervous system, even down to a cellular level. They cause the energetic function of our cells on a literally a cellular level to malfunction. And then our cells end up producing free radicals. Um, and then free radical production, it's the root cause of all chronic disease. That's wow. oxidative stress. It causes cellular damage. It causes DNA damage. Oxidative stress is the root cause of all chronic disease. And that's what happens in response to EMF exposure. There's an energy sensor on our cell that malfunctions. There's a domino effect chain reaction inside of the cell. 
the cell ends up making free radicals, which causes cellular damage and DNA damage. That's why people take antioxidants, whether it's green tea, pomegranate, you know, acai, blueberry, resveratrol, whatever it might be. The, the purpose of antioxidants is they will, uh, they will neutralize free radicals so that then the free radical can't harm you. That's the whole point of taking antioxidants. Well, now we're surrounded by an insane amount of EMFs that mankind is not designed to live around and we've never been around any levels like we are now. It doesn't matter how well you eat. It doesn't matter how many antioxidants you take. This is not natural amounts. I mean, you know, like when your body can make free radicals from normal physiological processes, you can, you can ingest free radicals from things like, you know, blackened meat, charred meat. You know, that's why that can be carcinogenic is because there's free radicals in the charred part. But when you're talking about completely unnatural levels being produced by your actual cells. So, you know, you can't combat, combat it nutritionally, no matter how well you eat. No kidding. So, no kidding. so nutritionally, mm-hmm. will it at least help? Because here I, I am, mean, I take antioxidants, a million of them. Sure. I mean, I'm huge on nutrition. I mean, I eat super clean. I mean, I'm cleansing and detoxing regularly throughout wow. the year. You know, so, I mean, I'm into all those kinds of health practices. I mean, my kids take, like, nutrition, herbs, supplements, you know, a couple times a I day. I need help with my children. <laughs> I do. I mean, they have, you know, ever since they're two, you know, they've actually taken, like, herbs and things like that. So I'm huge on all that stuff, but that is not going to offset the harm that's coming from emf exposure anymore there's just no way there's no way so talk to me like even when you're walking around is there all these cell phone towers is that all emf floating around is it yeah so i mean break it down for me like where's all this emf coming from the the wi-fi like what the hell is wi-fi yeah i mean imagine everywhere you go there's an invisible danger an invisible toxin that's smashing into your body 24 7 everywhere you can't see it you can't smell it you can't taste it you can't hear it you can't feel it unless you're symptomatic and 99 percent of people who are symptomatic which is millions and millions of people in this country alone have no idea it's coming from the technology that they depend on every day and the technology that surrounds them everywhere you go i mean like literally right now there is an emf swamp right here right here everywhere you go everywhere you walk on the streets every business you go into every church every school we're wading through an emf swamp of energy that you can't see but that's like literally that's the human environment that we live in now because it's being broadcast everywhere. I mean, think about it. There's Wi-Fi everywhere. There's Bluetooth everywhere. You, you know, you your your phone is emitting it. Every wireless device in your home is emit, em, emitting it. Everywhere you go, there's cell phone, there, there's cell tower signal emitting it. Now there's you know thousands and thousands of low-orbit 5G satellites that are broadcasting 5G down from overhead from the lower orbit of space as well. So literally, it's it's hitting us from every angle, everywhere we go, 24/7. What are these symptoms? So uh, tons of the symptoms are neurological. So really, these are like routine symptoms that we get testimonials on on a weekly basis when people do remediation. So really common headaches, um, neck and shoulder tightness, stiffness. Some people don't experience headache per se, but some people will feel vibration going through their head. Some people get dizziness, vertigo. Some people hear sounds ringing in the ear. doesn't mean all ringing in the ear is from EMF, but for a lot of people it is. Um, So 
uh, brain fog, memory focus, concentration issues. A lot of people get like ADHD style symptoms. You know, like I've had lots of people who they thought they had ADHD until they did remediation because like their mind will be bouncing around. They can't focus. Their mind's jumping everywhere. Well, again, wow. all this energy is disrupting your central nervous system, disrupting your brain waves. Um, disrupted sleep, whether it's difficulty falling asleep, difficulty mm. staying asleep and waking up at night, or an issue that I used to have before we remediated the overall structure of our house, um, sleeping through the night, but just not feeling rested in the morning, feeling groggy, feeling tired. You know, that happened to me, um, more than five years ago now, though, I would say like the one area of my health that I really kind of contend to push my body is I, I work hard. I train hard, you know, raising my kids, all that. And I, and I typically only sleep like five or six hours a night. Yeah. But for me, as long as I get that, as long as I get like at least five hours, I'm good to go. Even yeah. if I feel tired when I first wake up, as long as I get up and start moving, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm fine. Well, right around the time where before I was going to turn 40, all of a sudden that just wasn't happening. Like I would get up and I was just feeling groggy. My energy wasn't kicking in. Um, sometimes I would even sleep seven or eight hours just to see. And like, literally I felt no better. It didn't help at all. And so I was already doing EMF remediation. You know, at that point we could do cell phones, laptops, tablets, you know, routers, personal protection, but we weren't doing overall structures like a house or a church or a school like we do now. Um, and so then once we developed the, the capability to actually remediate the overall structure of a home, literally that first night I went to bed, I woke up, it was totally black, totally quiet, totally still. You know, I didn't know what time it was and I was wide awake. Like you couldn't have paid me to go back to sleep. I looked over at my wife. She was out cold. I was like, what is going on? Like I didn't eat anything weird. Like it was my normal routine. Why am I so awake? So I get up, grab my cell phone. I looked at it. It was 4.30, a half hour before my alarm went off at 5. And like the light bulb went out. I was like, oh my gosh, we just remediated the overall structure of our house like literally less than 24 hours ago. Now my body's actually going into deep sleep and recovering wow. like I normally would, like literally that first night. Um, so anyways, that's a lots of people. Like if people have significant sleeping issues, their sleep gets significantly better the majority of the time. Not wow. every time, right, right, right. not every time, but the majority of the time it'll, it gets significantly better. So anyways, disrupted sleep is really common. Um, it causes neuropsych, neuropsychiatric disturbance. So feeling anxious, feeling irritable, feeling stressed out, feeling depressed. Um, when we, when we test people in person, yeah, 90% of people now are testing that their body is in a flight or flight stress response. What, what do you mean test? Uh, like using a holistic style testing yeah. where we're like doing testing and getting feedback from the body. Um, and so 90%, 90% now. So to put it in perspective, <sighs> pre COVID, pre COVID, uh, I would say this isn't like hard numbers, but like gut instinct it's like around 10 percent of people pre-covid would test that they were in a sympathetic stress response to your flight or flight nervous 10%. system related to emf people okay. can get into that from you know if they get in an argument with the spouse if they eat food that they don't tolerate if they have an infection if an organ has like massive toxicity and they need to cleanse so different things can cause it it's not only emf but pre-covid only about 10 percent of people would test that it was from emf a few months into the lockdown, there was a major increase in the 5G rollout. 
and all of a sudden the amount of people that were testing for being in this flight or fright stress response, it jumped to like 30 or 40% of people. So there was like a three to 400% increase in the number of people, like all of a sudden. At the same time, when we would test people in person to see what the optimal amount of personal protection that they carry on their body, all of a sudden people were needing way more. And when we were remediating houses, all of a sudden they were needing way more. Um, also, people who had already remediated their home and like say they had symptoms before, but whether it was headaches or feeling stressed out or brain fog or anxiety or disrupted sleep or, you know, fatigue, a combination of lots of those things. A lot of times people have clusters of lots of those symptoms because there's the same root cause. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, people started calling me, hey, all of a sudden I'm having some of those same same symptoms again. You know, do you think it could be from 5G? So like, yes, you know, we connected the dots. And that's what it, what, what it is, because when it comes to remediating this chaotic energy, it's kind of like a teeter-totter or a balance scale. Uh, you know, the more weight there is on one side, the more weight you need on the other side to balance it, right? Yeah. So the more EMFs there are, the more chaotic energy there's going to be going through your environment and going through your body. So the more of this harmonizing field that we have to, to produce to stabilize that energy so that it's no longer disrupting our nervous system, causing the energy sensors on our cells to malfunction. You know, that's how we neutralize what normally is the, the harmful impact of it. And so, um, yeah. So all of a sudden there was a big increase in what it was taking to per protect an individual person when they're outside, because now there's way more weight right. of radiation smashing into their body. Again, you can't see it, but it's there all the time. Houses started needing more because there's way more radiation smashing into the houses. So, you know, by like middle of 2020, it went from 10% of people to like 30 or 40% of people. Then by 2021, it was more than half of people. Uh, by early 2020, uh, 2022, in January, there was another big increase in the rollout. I don't know if you remember the airline industry starting to speak out about how the 5G is disrupting uh, all of the navigation equipment. So them having safety concerns about that. So in, in by early 2022, it was like, you know, 70% of people. And then just about three to four months ago, there was another big increase. There was another kind of outcry from the airline industry, if anybody recalls that. But then, then from that point on, it's like 90% of people now. 90%. Yeah. This is a major problem. Yeah. So again, if you're, so, you know, that mechanism in our body, in our nervous system, and the hormonal result of it is designed to, you know, so you can run away or so you can fight if you're in danger. I mean, right. you know, originally it's like, you know, a bear's chasing me. Right. I have to defend my, my family. I have to go to battle. Someone's breaking into my home. But when you're living in that constant state, you know, it's the opposite of your parasympathetic, which is rest and digest, where your body's digesting food, where you're resting, yep. where your body's able to heal and repair. The number one time your body heals and repairs is supposed to be while you're sleeping. That's right. But if your body is in this continual where your your body and your nervous system and hormonally, you f your body thinks it's like, it's, you know, you, you're about to die. You can't do, do those things properly. Wow. So, you know, I think it's another one of the major contributors to all of the anxiety, all the depression, all the neuropsychiatric issues we're saying. Again, research has already proven that EMFs cause neuropsychiatric disturbance. Now, would you say, so on that note, you're, so right now, the amount of, let's say, the, the stress that's involved, anxiety, even with kids. Oh, yeah. Because now they're, they're medicating kids at a very early age. 
mm-hmm. for what ADHD, whatever they're calling it. Yeah. The odds are very good that it's probably EMF that has a lot to do with this. Would you say? Yeah. I mean, so with kids, it can also be, you know, sugar. It can also mm. be, um, food coloring, preservatives, all these things are excitotoxins, excitotoxins, so they overstimulate the nervous system, especially in kids. So there's also nutritional things. So I'm not trying to say this is the only one, but for sure EMFs are one for kids and for adults. I mean, we get testimonials from teachers who remediate their classroom or a lot of times from homeschooling moms. Again, kids are kids. I'm not saying it's like a magic bullet and fixes everything, but it's, you know, a lot of times that they'll say that the kids are sleeping better, night terrors going away, um, kids being more calm, being more focused, being less distracted, being less disobedient, you know, in the classroom setting or in homeschooling setting, because it's not causing their nurse nervous system to go haywire. It's not putting their body into a stress response anymore. I mean, we even have kids with seizure disorders who haven't had a seizure in over three years, over five years, ever since we remediated their home. And now when they leave the house, they wear personal protection on their body and they don't have seizures anymore. So, you know, neurological conditions are another thing. I was kind of focusing more on symptoms leading up to this point, but it also causes neurological symptoms and diseases, neuro, uh, neurodegenerative disorders. So it's, it's, a there's a correlation with EMF exposure in Alzheimer's and the elderly and autism in kids. Um, a female's eggs, and I say female because little girls are born with their eggs. The immature follicles are made in the first trimester of pregnancy. And research shows that a female's eggs, whether it's a grown woman or a little girl, really, really sadly, this part scares me as a, as a parent, even though I don't have a daughter at this point, um, a female's eggs get 10 times the genetic damage of the Whoa. rest of the biological tissue. So 10 times the genetic damage. So it's not any surprise that there's also a direct correlation with infertility in women um, in low sperm count in men. The average man has less than 50% of the sperm that men had 50 years ago. Uh, it also is, is associated with spontaneous miscarriage. Um, so research has shown that. I've even had uh, clients who had miscarriages and who worked in a high EMF environment and like instinctively they had a sense that like, this isn't going to be safe for my baby. You know, they shared with me, but they were told, no, you know, there's no harm. It's totally safe. And then like, while in the workplace, like they had like, you know, the beginning of of actual miscarriage and, you know, I'm just telling you what they told me, but they were fully convinced that it, that's what, that's what triggered it. Um, but research has shown that it's associated with that as well. Um, also cancers, tumors. I mean, so you think about the things I'm, it weakens the immune system. It disrupts the immune system. So it can contribute to autoimmune conditions. So these are symptoms and these are medical conditions that are so rampant in our society and that have only been, you know, increasing and becoming more and more prevalent as we've been introducing more and more wireless technology, you know, and it's, it's not only so that even with the wireless technology, I mean, think about 10 years ago, I mean, the, the average home had like a couple of wireless devices. Now the average home has at least 20 or 30 Wow. and even more than that, you know, and then, you know, think about it. We used to have, you know, dial up internet and then we had 1G, you know, with cell phone calls and 2G with texting, then 3G with being able to do basic internet, then 4G where you could start to stream videos and now we have 5G. So with each new generation, the way you can stream more data 
the way you start to gain more function, the signal is radiation. It's not radiation. It's not like the radiation is some byproduct that you can separate. Literally, the signal is microwave. It is radiation. So microwave radiation is what all the wireless technology is. So whether it's Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, any Wi-Fi, Bluetooth device. I mean, it could be a baby monitor, you know, a smart TV, an Alexa, Google Home, your cell phone, a laptop. Everything, it's all microwave radiation. So what I always say is, you know, the same frequency that'll cook your food faster than fire is the same frequency that we hold up to our head, that we put in our pocket by our reproductive organs, that little kids hold up to their face and put on their lap. It's all, you know, just because usually that kind of makes the common sense, uh, the common sense meter go, okay, that's probably not a good thing. But people don't usually think about it that way. You know, people don't usually realize that when they first developed microwave ovens, they were actually called radar ovens because literally it's the same thing as radar. Um, and so when they did test groups with women, the women were like, radar, I don't want medical, I don't want military technology in my kitchen cooking my food. And so they were all shutting it down and weren't interested. So that's why they changed it from radar oven to microwave oven because no one really understands what microwave is. They don't understand what microwave radiation is, but that's what it is, it's radiation. And so the microwave radiation is much faster, much chaotic, a much stronger form of radiation than the electricity or the dirty electricity that's going through homes and anywhere where there's, you know, electricity, anywhere there, there's an electrical circuit, you're going to have those EMFs, which again, those are also harmful. I mean, a lot of people are aware of like, you know, power lines and, yeah. you know, whether it's with people or animals who develop cancer and do various things from being close to, to high power power lines and things like that. But again, the, the, the microwave radiation, the wireless technology is by far the worst. And so now it's not just that there's way more sources of radiation, but they're also operating at higher and higher, higher levels of radiation. So the overall weight of radiation and exposure that we're living in and that we're being exposed to all the time is just, you know, exponentially has grown. Wow. Oh, man. I'm like paranoid now, big time. No, I mean, don't I knew be this paranoid. Was gonna happen. Don't be paranoid. But you're, you're, remedi you're remediating my home tonight. Are you free? <laughs> Are you free? In fact, I'm going to close the shop early so we can re remediate that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm but completely dude, I'm think, I'm, I'm completely not about fear at all. However, like, however, you do have to be aware of the reality of what's going on so that we can be empowered to actually make informed decisions about what we're going to do, you yeah. know, cause like if we're going to wait for like big brother to look out for our best interests, like don't hold your breath, you know, <laughs> don't hold your breath. I mean, when, <clears throat> when the telecom industry went before Congress in 2019, because there was a huge outcry internationally, it wasn't, it was, it was suppressed. Like lots of doctors have been being suppressed who are bringing up various things about COVID, but there is a big outcry from international scientists, doctors, researchers, environmental experts, um, public health experts about 5g because like all the stuff that I described with symptoms and cancer and all this kind of stuff, most of the research proving that was done with 2g and 3g levels, wow. which are much lower levels there's less research on 4G. And then at that point, when the telecom industry leaders went before Congress and were questioned, there was one uh, senator in particular who like cornered them and they kept trying to evade the question, but he wouldn't let them. And finally he cornered them and said, you know, how much money have you spent on independent safety testing for the 5G? And there was a super long, awkward silence. And then finally they admitted 
were not aware of any. Um, so literally, no money was spent on independent safety testing. The, the really sad thing is, even though he asked the hard question, they did nothing about it. They still continued to allow the 5G rollout. So like literally, the, the public is the test. But I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of, you know, agendas that want the proliferation of the Talking technology. Talking about the agenda, like why, what's the big push? Well, so, you know, when, when 5G was beginning, so China, I mean, clearly China is uh, trying to overtake the United States as being the world superpower on yep. multiple levels, right? right? Yep. And they announced that they were going to be the, techno the, the, the worldwide leader in 5G. Mm. So Wuhan, China coincidentally, mm. where, you know, the outbreak began was actually the first city in the world to have a full-scale high-density 5G rollout in November of 2019. And December of 2019, that region was where the first super low orbit 60 gigahertz 5G satellite was turned on. So right at the, you know, wow. the time that all this began, again, we know that it lowers your immune system um, is one of the scientifically proven effects of it. So at any rate, uh, so one thing is, you know, no one wants to fall behind in technology, right? Right. So like on a governmental level, no one wants to fall behind. Yep. There's massive uses for the military, you know, whether it's like tracking tanks, tracking soldiers, you know, 5G allows all of that. Also the control of AI, you know, I mean, with 5G, you can control AI anywhere in the world from anywhere in the world. And then it also can, it, it creates a digital matrix where everything's interconnected. So, you know, like in China, you know, in their cities, they have cameras all over the cities that are connected to AI software. And like literally people will like scan to get to leave like their apartment complex and it will like track like, okay, they left their place. The cameras will track everywhere they go. The cameras will track every person they interact with. It'll track everything they purchase at the store. It'll track, this is how like the whole social credit system and everything, this is how they institute all that. So 5G and like in the connection with AI by creating this digital matrix where everything's talking and interconnected, that's what makes all that possible. So there's all these other kinds of reasons for it. And then, you know, just think about just the monetary power of the telecom industry. You know, I mean, I don't watch TV, but if you do, most of the commercials are what? Like pharmaceutical yeah, and yeah. cell phone companies. That's right. And so, you know, do you think the media, do you think all these, you know, broadcasting stations are interested in undermining their biggest, yeah, you know? Funding. Funding, exactly. Of, of course they're not, you know? And then there's massive, um, there's, I mean, several years ago, it was over $100 million a year that telecom was giving to Congress. So it's probably even higher now. I don't oh, have yeah. it, but a few years ago, it was already over $100 million a year. So, I mean, that's basically what I call legal bribery. I mean, let's just face it. Yeah. You know, they're given the money. Now they're going to do the interests of the donors, not of the people that they're supposed to represent, you know, by the consent of the government. Now it's whoever gives me the most money is where I'm going to give my attention and turn my ear. So, you know, again, there's a lot of different reasons <sighs> where why, you know, I think the the research that's been done, I mean, internationally, there's over 10,000 studies that have been done proving the harmful impact of EMS. There's actually more studies proving the harm of EMS than tobacco. Really? Which, you know, nobody would question if tobacco is harmful. But, you know, what I, what I say is, you know, in terms of like mainstream public awareness, 
it seems like where the mainstream public awareness is with this problem is kind of where it was with tobacco in the early 80s when I was a kid, you know, where people were becoming aware people are getting lung disease or getting cancer, you know, they're having strokes. People were aware that people were getting sick from cigarettes, but the cigarette, the tobacco industry was still like paying doctors to be in a lab coat, but saying like, oh, I smoke Marlboros, I smoke Camels, trying to project a public image that, you know, smoking safe because doctors do it, right? Right. And saying it's conspiracy theory. Now we know it. it's insane that it's conspiracy theory. There's no, there's no question, you know, that it, it causes lots of different diseases to, with tobacco, right? Yeah. But now, you know, again, there's actually more studies proving the harmful impact of EMS, but it's just that information is not being shared. It's not going to be shared. There's no way. Absolutely no way. So, Oh, my God. So in 5G, we're just getting into this. This is only going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I I hate to be a doomsday, but I mean, there's, yeah, there's no indication that it's going to get better. I mean, it, unless there's some massive change in policy and agenda, you know, yes, that's that's correct. It's only going to get worse, you know. But like you said, hold your breath on that, <laughs> so, right? So, yeah, again, you know, that's why I really believe, that's why... You know, we've really dedicated ourselves to going against the mainstream narrative and, and really stepping out, you know, especially now, you know, with the involvement that we, you know, we're doing it on Instagram and things like that. Historically, I was never even on social media personally. Like yeah. my entire life, I deliberately disengaged from it, um, like throughout my life yeah. uh, until, you know, like the last, you know, less than two years, you know, basically because of our own personal experience with the benefits of EMF remediation and then the flood of testimonials once we start once we saw the effect for our own family then once we instigated it with our with our patients flood of testimonials then our patients started referring their friends their family flood of testimonials and then that's how it kind of organically grew again just by word of mouth what do you mean by personal remediation? what does that mean personal protection on your body what, what are you doing for that for EMF so with all of the EMF remediation, we're using scientifically tested rare earth materials that there's different natural earth materials that will produce a harmonizing uh, field. It's an invisible scientific field. It's different mag than magnetism, but similar. I mean, just like there's natural magnetic rock that yeah. you can get out of the earth yep. that produces an invisible magnetic field, you know, back when people first discovered it, they probably thought it was magic. Like, oh, this rock is attracting to iron, but it's not magic. There's just an invisible field. Well, different field, but there's various natural rare earth minerals, materials that because of what they're made of, because of the elements in them, they produce this different scientific, it's a harmonizing field. It stabilizes the chaotic energy coming from the man-made EMFs. And by balancing the energy, there's a bunch of different types of testing, including testing of the actual energy sensors and the malfunctioning of the voltage-gated calcium channels by, you know, an independent lab recently tested the calcium levels in cells, you know, being exposed to Wi-Fi with remediation without, and even on a cellular level, uh, showing that the normal malfunctioning of the body doesn't happen using this technology. You know, we see it with mold testing, with uh, live blood cell analysis, with thermal imaging, with avatar acugraph testing, which are types of testing that a lot of chiropractors, you know, holistic practitioners will use where you can, using like modern equipment and computer systems, you can measure the energy levels in various organs in the body. So with all these different types of testing, the, the harmful reaction that we normally, normally see from the body 
when you expose someone to EMFs, that goes away. Um, I mentioned mold testing also with mold. You know, mold produces yeah. 600 times more mycotoxins. The, ty- the, the toxins that mold produce, they produce 600 times more in the presence of EMFs. So even with mold testing where like Petri dishes are swabbed with cultures of mold and then exposed to Wi-Fi, if you put the EMF remediation under the Petri dish, uh, under one and then not under the other, the one with the remediation like doesn't grow the mold, the other one, it just proliferates super, super fast. Wow. Um, so anyways, there's all these different types. So going back to your personal question, yeah, so yeah. this is what I carry. You know, and those are little, little st- like yeah, I mean, stones or yeah, this is, so this is the, let me see one of those, the scientifically tested rare earth materials, um, are mixed into like the most natural resin, non-toxic resin that you can get. And then they're pulled it, poured into a mold like that. We sell them. So they, it looks like an Apple watch. It looks yeah. like a smartwatch, but there's no electronics. It's just literally like a plastic shell. Um, that that slides into. So it's just done in a mold so it will fit in that shell if people want to wear it on their wrist. You know, as you can see, I don't like wearing stuff on my wrist. Yeah. Plus, I carry three now. You do. You, before three to four months ago, you remember I mentioned there was yeah. another big increase in 5G? Yeah. I used to carry two because like when, you know, if, if we would do testing on me in various places, two used to be enough. Now, sometimes I need two, sometimes I need three, depending on where we are. So I just carry three all the time because I want to make sure I have enough. And what do you do? You put them in your pocket? Yeah, I carry them in my pocket. You know, my wife is, you know, just giving my personal example. My wife is on the more sensitive side of the spectrum. We can jump into that next where yes. I'm talking about the 5G tower in our neighborhood. Yes. But she's on the more sensitive side, so she carries four. Um <sighs> Yeah, used to carry less, but now four. So anyway, she typically carries two on each side of her bra. She puts them in just like a little fabric pouch. That way it's comfortable against her skin. But, you know, basically you can wear it as a wristband. It works even better, though, if it's around your torso. Because that's where most of our vital organs Mm -hmm. are. And also the energetic centers of the body come up the midline. So when you put the harmonizing field directly into this part of your body, it's more potent than if it has to resonate from your wrist up your arm to get into that part of your body. It'll still do it. It still works amazingly well uh compared to anything else out there you know but it's even better around your torso so i carry them in my box so what so if somebody because dude you're, you're gonna get so much business from this podcast bro people are gonna be you're calling you great i'm already in um so are both camera guys uh, where do we start we come over and get a test see how bad we are see how ta- how how much <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, people can, you know, jump on and connect with me on Instagram yep. at the EMF Pro or, you know, can go to my website. But, like, I have links to take my assessment. That's the best way. If you take that assessment, um, it's going to give me the information I need to have a really good idea of what your EMF exposure is. Yep. And then once you complete that, you can schedule um, – I'll, I'll give a free consultation to, you know, any of your audience who does that process and reaches out, they can, they'll get a link to my calendar. They can schedule a consultation. I'll give it to them for free. And then, you know, we can talk about, okay, this is what it looks like. We can start to talk about the, you know, these are the options for remediation and then kind of move forward from there. But wow. that's kind of like the best process. Yeah. And where do, you, where do you start? Bare minimum, the ones on you personally. Yeah. So what does something like this cost? Like what do one of these cost? One of those is 65, 65 bucks. Yep. That's not bad. Yeah. So considering what it bare, does. bare minimum is at least one of those, but basically, uh, almost everybody now tests that they should carry either two or three really in, in terms of optimal what, one's the- going to be way better than nothing. But now at the, at the amount of the 5G rollout that we're seeing, 
Um, because again, remember the teeter totter example, you know, one of these, it's only so much material and this amount of material can only produce so much of the harmonizing field. Right. And that amount of harmonizing field can only balance so much chaotic energy. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, a lot of people out there who are selling stuff are treating it like it's magic. Oh, get this Shungite pendant and now you're safe from everything. It's no baloney. It's not true. You know, the harmonizing field from this material is scientifically tested and it's the top one to 2% strongest harmonizing field producing material is what's used in the products. Whereas other people out there who are using natural materials, they're just randomly getting material. Yep. They're not measuring how much field it's producing and they're just kind of assuming, hoping, wishing, whatever that it works. But I can tell you from so much testing, it's, it's not the case. You know, again, it's only the top one to two at the most top one to 3% of materials that are actually used. The rest is discarded because it's not going to be strong enough to be effective. You'd have to like carry a backpack around, which yeah. no one wants to do that. Of course. But even using the very strongest material, again, we make it this amount because it makes it an easier step in for people, right? And some people don't want to carry more and more material, but for those who want even better protection, at least two is my recommendation. Do, do, your kid, do you send your kids in? Do they wear these too? Like of their... course. So not in our house. So the number one priority is your home. Yeah. That's the most important thing you can do. Yep. Because in your home, you're getting the cumulative impact of not only your electrical circuit, but also every wireless device in your home. Right now, every wireless device in your home, again, the average house has 20 or 30, is imp impacting the entire house. Wow. Once we put boxes of the material and we connect them to the main part of the electrical circuit, and we put that harmonizing field through the electrical circuit to distribute it all around the home, then the harmful range, the overall impact that's reverberating through someone's house gets neutralized. And then the harmful range of the wireless devices gets shrunk down to being in the same room. Because the harmonizing field, it doesn't transmit into the air. Yeah. It transmits through solid material. Uh, the harder the material, the better it resonates through it. It goes through metal the best, just like metal conducts heat and electricity. Metal amplifies EMF. The chaotic really? energy, it amplifies and it, and it, and it transmits it even more, makes it worse. Well, on the flip side, this harmonizing field goes, it, it, it resonates beautifully through metal. So anyways, what we do is we're putting the harmonizing field through the literal structure of the house. People normally envision that it's going to be filling up the room. It doesn't fill the room. It does, it'll transmit a little bit into the air, but not far. So it's not filling the room. It's not like an essential oil diffuser that's filling the room with molecules of the oil. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. It's literally in the structure. But that, that, that neutralizes the overall impact going through the home. And then it shrinks the, the range of the wireless t uh, devices down to being in the same room. Because think about it, you know, if, if my phone's here or my router's here or the smart TV or whatever it is, it's sending the microwave radiation into the room in every direction in three dimensions because they don't know where the devices are they're connecting with. They could be that way, that way, upstairs, yeah. downstairs. So they're sending the radiation in every direction. So literally the room's getting hit with, like every square inch of the room's gonna get hit with the radiation. You know, and then it's going to go through the walls. Then you're going to get a second wave in the next room, so on and so forth. Because with the wireless technology, it goes through walls. So once we remediate the structure of the house, the harmful range of wireless devices gets shrunk down to the same room. And then, so, you know, that's a big improvement, right? Yeah. 
And then it also, that's what protects you from everything from outside. You know, your smart meter, your neighbor's smart meter, your neighbor's Wi-Fi, your neighbor's uh, wireless devices. You know, if you pull up on your phone or your laptop in a typical single family home, you can usually get at least five of your neighbor's Wi-Fi signals. If you live in a condo or an apartment, it's usually over 10 and even over 20, even over 30, depending on how tightly they're clustered. So now you've got all that radiation that's hitting you as well. Then you step out from that, you've got 3G, 4G, 5G cell towers. With 5G, even though there's more, it's stronger radiation and the towers have to be way closer together. But on top of that, 5G is not replacing 3G and 4G. It's only being added on top of it. So you've got all wow. that impact going through your home. Now, then we also have the Lorbit 5G satellites. So again, the, um, the, the amount of weight, going back to that kind of uh, balance scale or teeter-totter, the amount of EMF weight that's going through everybody's home is insane. So that's why the home harmonizers are the number one priority if it's in budget, because that's what will neutralize all that overall thing and shrink the harmful range down the same room. Second priority is uh, wireless devices that you touch and hold and use a lot. So it's basically always cell phones and frequently laptops and tablets, as well as routers and extenders. They're extremely strong. Um, and, and a couple other things, but those are like the second priority. Um, the personal protection is third priority. Really? Yeah. Third. Well, cause again, so if you think about the overall weight in your home, yeah. this can't protect you from all of it. Not even three, you know, in your home, you're in much closer proximity True. to way more devices than you are when you're like walking around in the street, going through a grocery store. Does that make sense? Yeah. Plus in your own home, you're touching and you're holding and you're interacting with way more devices, way more close. So it's going to be even more weight in your own home than out in the world in general. But, um, you know, so this is really designed for when you're out in the world, yep. you know, in my house, you know, we don't need to use it in our house because our house is fixed. Every device is fixed. Um, but, you know, if you are if you haven't done that, this is obviously going to help you in your house and out of your house. But right. overall, it's third priority. But, yes, at a bare minimum, uh, I recommend people start with personal protection and your cell phone. Uh, when you put this material directly onto an EMF source, it's way more effective than when you put the field into your body. So, like, with your cell phone... If you don't remediate your cell phone, like if we tested you and we figured out how many of these you need to to carry, let's say you need two, then if I had you hold your phone, not even making a call, just holding your phone in your hand, what we see is people end up needing two or three more of these to offset the impact of their phone if we don't fix it. Wow. So again, at $65 each, that would be $130 to $195. But to fix your phone is $80 or $85, depending on the type of phone that you have. So I'm just using that as like a practical real world example. But when when we put the material directly onto a device, that works way better than Got trying it. to put the field into yourself. The reason that I use this is for all the things I can't control, right? I mean, I'm right. being exposed to stuff right here doing this interview. Yep. I'm doing yep. exposed to stuff while I drive everywhere I go, you know. So anytime I leave the house, I carry this, even if my kids want to go play in the yard or if, you know, I'm working in the yard or if we're washing the car or whatever, anytime we're outside of our home, we carry it. Because once we step outside the walls of our home, we're no longer being insulated by that harmonizing field. It's, it, it's essentially producing, it's like us having an invisible Star Wars force field around your house that's insulating you from everything coming from outside. And the inside though, right? And in the inside, it's, so 
don't know how deep you want to get, but I want to go deep. So the the original EMF, even with five G, is non ionizing radiation. The old school definition of non ionizing was that it doesn't cause cellular or DNA damage. Again, there's over 10,000 studies proving that the EMFs are causing damage, even though they're non-ionizing. So we know now that they do cause cellular and DNA damage, but it's not directly. It's indirectly. Mm. So e- even though the EMFs, like with, with microwave radiation, with all the wireless technology, even though the actual microwave radiation coming through the air is the upstream source of the problem, it doesn't cause direct cellular and DNA damage. As that energy smashes into your body, some of the microwave radiation will pass through you, just like a Wi-Fi signal will pass through the wall, okay? The part that goes through you doesn't harm you. It's only the energy that gets absorbed into you. The part that gets absorbed is no longer the original EMF. It becomes a chaotic energy that just goes reverberating through whatever it hits, I call it energetic shrapnel. It's kind of like, you know, if I pull the pin on a grenade and I toss it, once a grenade explodes, it's not a grenade anymore, right? It's a blast with shards of metal. Well, once the EMF smashes into physical structure, the energy that gets absorbed is no longer the original EMF. It's a chaotic energy that just reverberates through it. That's what happens in a microwave oven. A microwave oven is is using the exact same radiation as your Wi-Fi router. It's literally the same frequency. So, but when that, when that radiation hits the food, as the energy gets absorbed into the food, that energy makes the molecules in the, in the food shake and vibrate, especially water in the human bodies, 70, 80% water. So all those molecules of water are shaking because of the energy going through it. They're smashing into each other, kind of like rubbing your hands. It creates friction, friction creates heat. That's how the microwave radiation heats food faster than fire in a microwave oven. So now we're not in a metal box, we're not in a Faraday cage, but we're having the same kind of radiation smashing into us. And so that energy, as it's reverberating through our body, remember it's triggering those energy sensors on our cells, then our cells have a domino effect chain reaction, and then our cells make free radicals. It's because they they energetically malfunction, then our cells make free radicals, and the free radical production from our cells is what actually causes the cellular and DNA damage. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, in contrast, X-rays are ionizing radiation. They're much stronger photons of energy. If an X-ray goes through your body, you will get the same kind of harm by the energy that gets absorbed, but even the X-ray energy that passes through you and shows up on the X-ray film, right? Even the energy that passes through you damages cells and damages electrons. That's why it has to be blocked. Right. But with non-ionizing radiation, we don't need to block it because the actual EMF isn't directly harming us. It's the energetic shrapnel that it creates in our body and in the house. So now to tie it back to what your question is. So in our home, the whole reason we use Wi-Fi is because we can broadcast data into other rooms without having to wire everything, correct? Right. So when Wi-Fi or you know Bluetooth, whatever, from every device in your home, when it goes through a wall, some of the energy is going to pass through. That's why we use it, correct? Yep. But remember, some of that energy is going to smash into the actual elements making up the physical structure. That energy becomes the shrapnel, and now that energy is reverberating through the home. Got it. We know from physics, energy doesn't disappear. Energy only changes forms. So we have a constant amount of energy in the universe. It's just changing into different forms and being recycled in different forms. 
So most people imagine, you know, that that energy is disappearing into a black hole to the other side of the universe. Cause like on a meter, you know, if you measure on one side of the wall and the other, the level's going to get lower. Well, that energy is not gone. That energy is just not measurable on the meter because it's not microwave anymore. That meter is only measuring a specific frequency of energy. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. And so the energy that disappears hasn't really disappeared. It's just a different form of energy. That's the energy that's actually harming us. I call it the jackhammer effect. Yeah. You know, imagine if I walked into your home, came into the entryway, and I started jackhammering. That would be the point of impact. Say you've got your headset on on the other side of the house and, you know, you're bumping your favorite music. You might not hear the sound, but shortly after you're going to realize something's going on, right? Yeah. Because you're going to feel the impact vibrating through the foundation, vibrating through the floor of your home, correct? Right. That's on a tactile level, but energetically that's what's happening. Every wireless device is showering that room with energy. Some of the energy is going to pass through and go to the next room. But you're you're gonna the energy that gets absorbed is just gonna go reverberating through the structure, and then we're connected to the structure, so it goes from the structure into our body. Does that make sense? Yep. And that's why a Wi-Fi signal degrades. You know, you're familiar with how if you get too far away, yep. a Wi-Fi signal fades. Yep. You lose connection. You lose download speed. Well, the reason why is every time it passes through a wall, furniture, a person, more and more of the energy is getting absorbed, and there's less and less of the original signal carrying the data. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. So the energy, the reason it fades is because the energy is being absorbed. That's what's actually hurting us. So, you know, in a home, you're getting the cumulative jackhammer effect of the first blast of energy in the first room by what gets absorbed. Then in the next room, there's going to be less, right? But then in the next room, you're going to get the second wave. You're going to get another layer of jackhammer effect. Then in the next room, you're going to get the third wave, which is less, but it's another. <clears throat> and then because of all this, these EMF sources, they're pumping 24-7. And it's not just what's in in our house, it's what's outside of our house. So we're literally having a continuous jackhammer flow of energetic shrapnel going through the environment around us and into our body because we're connected to it. We're standing on the floor, <clears throat> we're sitting on the chair, we're laying on the bed. So it's coming into our body from the environment around us, plus what hits our body directly. So with the home harmonizers, we're neutralizing the jackhammer effect in the entire house. And we're shrinking the harmful range down to the same room. Because if you're in another room, you know, once the signal in this room goes through the wall, the, the energy is going to interact with the harmonizing field in the wall, and it's going to balance the energy. So once you get out of that first room, the harmonizing field in the walls or in the ceiling or in the floor is going to balance the energy. So it's not going to be harmful outside of the room. But if you're in the room, you're still going to get the first wave, which is the worst wave. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's why ideally we want to fix the devices. But again, some are worse than others. So that's why, you know, I say do the assessment, schedule a consultation, and then, you know, depending on budget, depending on priorities, you know, I can help strategize the best game plan for getting people protected. So what you're saying is you've got ones where you basically kind of put it in the wall with the electric, like, right? Yeah, so we either, um, we either connect it next to the electric meter or next to the electric panel, or if people have solar with metal conduit pipe that connects... We just want to connect to metal with the main part of the electricity. Okay, and okay, so that'll prevent other rooms from going into another room. Yep. But if you're in the, you're still going to get the stuff from the devices from in the that wireless room. devices if you're in the same room. So then, like ironclad, perfect world, budget, you know, uh, friendly, not friendly, budget uh, in the budget. Mm -hmm. You also remediate the devices themselves. Correct. 
but some are worse than others. You know, like a Wi-Fi router is super strong and it broadcasts twenty four seven unless you turn it off at night. Okay, have you heard of access points? Like they're uh, wireless. Uh, Wi-Fi access points. Like I have them for the business to where right now I have an access point over at the warehouse, which is 300 yards away. Mm -hmm. That's feeding off of the Wi-Fi. From yeah, so they're like extenders. Yeah, extenders. So they're basically another router. They're just capturing oh, the God. the signal and then they're relaying the signal from a new source because oh, you know between here and 300 yards away, how many walls is it going through where more and more of the signal is getting absorbed? Yeah. So now the signal that's remaining hits your access point, then it just relays that same signal, that same data it's going to send, but now it's going to be a fresh first blast. Does that make sense? It does, unfortunately. So, so it's it's uh, extenders essentially a router. So those Great. are all high priorities. Do you know that I have them all over my house? Yeah, I mean, uh, lots of people do. I've got extenders everywhere. So bro. again, like that's a lot worse than a smart TV. Great. A smart TV isn't as strong, and it's only emitting white when you turn it on. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's why, depending on budget, I will help people figure out because uh, you know my I'm a health practitioner, right? Yes. My goal is how do I help people get the re results? You know. My my mission in life is to help people feel their best and perform their best so they can thrive in their purpose, whatever it is, whether it's a businessman, whether it's, you know, an athlete, whether it's a mother or a father or a combination of those things. My mission is to help people feel their best and perform their best so they can thrive in whatever they're designed to, to do, whatever their lane is. I want to empower them to be their best in what their lane is, you know? And so, uh, yeah, so my, you know, my goal is always, how do I get people the best results with whatever they're able to do? Man, I'll tell you what. Uh, I knew this was going to happen when I talked to you about this. Now I'm all freaked out. Don't be the, freaked out. I mean, we can fix it. That's the good news, good thing, I know you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I didn't even know this was a thing until I, because of Awakened Church that brought us together. Mm-hmm. Um, and saw you on Instagram, mm -hmm. and I was like, ooh, what's that mean, EMF Pro? And then I kind of looked a little bit, and I didn't, I purposely didn't want to dig deep to, to, to get to know a lot about you, because I knew at that point I wanted to bring you on the podcast, yeah. so then we could really dig in. Sure. And I also like to get to know people um, kind of organically on the fly during the interview. So, and by the way, I, the backstory was absolutely incredible in itself. Um, so, and I, I don't Give me, give me like cost wise, is there like to, to get like one like remediation of a wall or something without doing the devices? Can we get into that at all? Can you like, I like mean, doing low a end wall, is this, high practical. end is this? Yeah. So I mean, or whatever you're saying, like the minimum without doing the devices. Yeah. I mean, like if, if, so if somebody does like a couple people, one or two pieces of personal protection or their phone, I mean, you know, they could get a good start for like a couple hundred bucks. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, if somebody wants to do their overall house, so it's going to depend on the side, the square footage. Yep. It's going to depend on if they have solar. It's going to depend on, you know, if their cell tower is close by. It's going to depend on how many kids, like if, you know, how many wireless devices, how many people were getting personal protection. But if somebody's going to go like all out, do everything, yep. every device, personal protection, house, like the full blown, like what I do for my family in my yeah. home. Yeah. Depending on the size of the house and the number of family members, you're talking like two to four grand. Okay. That's so what, it's like, right. in my opinion, the value of uh, it is unbelievable. unbelievable. I mean, our goal is to make it as easily accessible <laughs> because everybody needs it. Everybody. everybody needs this now. And so our goals make it accessible for the masses. You know what I mean? 
what can we offer my watchers and viewers when they when they contact you? Give them something. You said a free consultation. Yeah, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a free assessment consultation. I mean, it, that's usually going to be like a minimum of like an hour of my time okay. between, you know, like reviewing their assessment, putting together a tentative game plan, doing a, a consultation with them, it, and then potentially more depending on how much we dive into. And that's the, what do you normally so, charge for an assessment? I mean, that would usually be 500 bucks. Wow. Okay. I like that. That's, that's, that's solid savings right there. Yeah. Now what do you do? You analyze the physical body? Like you do, and then the house as well. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, so we help people. You know, again, this all started like word of mouth organically from referrals is how it started. But now we help people from all over the country and internationally. So really, you know, I've developed because I've been doing this for more than a decade. If people complete my assessment and they give me the information I need, and then also, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but I also always have them send me a picture of their electric panel and their meter, or if they have solar, like the main connection of the solar to that with all of that combined information, I've been doing this long enough that I'm going to know what they're going to need for their house. Even if I don't physically go out there, does that make sense? It does. But, uh, if people are local, then we can physically go out to people's homes or businesses as well. And you had said you, you test personally, like, like, like my body. Yeah. I mean, if you're in person, yes, then, then we can do that kind of testing physically on you. And we do that at your office? Yeah. I mean, or just wherever. Wow. This is, this is incredible. You keep mentioning solar. What's sure. the difference? If you have solar, it's less, less uh, EMF, EMF No, it's going? more. So, it's I more? Mean, so, I mean, think about solar. It's taking the solar energy from the sun, which oh is unpolarized, and then it's turning it into a polarized alternating current alternating current is chaotic. It's not a continual flow of stable electricity. It's an alternating pulsing wave of energy that disrupts our body's energetics. So solar is great for harnessing that energy so you can power electronics. I'm not anti-solar. Right. Just like I'm not anti-technology. I mean, you know, I typically carry two cell phones, my personal line and my business line. You know, I mean, I depend on the technology. Now, full, full transparency, if I couldn't fix the the EMF from the technology, knowing what I know, I would minimally use it. Like my phone would be for emergencies, like in my bag, in my, in my car, knowing what I know, but that's not the case. I can fix it. So I use it just like everybody else does. I'm not afraid of it because I can fix it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So those, sorry, I'm laughing. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh here, but so those with solar, like, so with solar, I'm not anti-solar. toxic. They're just going to blow up. I'm kidding. Well, I mean, so a house that has solar, basically, it's it's going to cost like $500 more than it would if the house didn't have solar. The amount that your average solar system is going to put of extra energy, wow. the amount of material it's going to be, the amount of extra material it's going to take would be like an extra 500 bucks more than if you fix the house without solar. So solar is going to be a minimum of 10 grand, if not 30 grand plus. So what's 500 bucks to offset exactly. that? I mean, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing plus all the money. So again, I'm not anti-solar, but it is more EMF. So if you want to protect your health and the health of your family, then remediating it is the wise thing to do. I've, I've got some friends, bro, that when they listen to this, <laughs> I, this can't go live fast enough. Cause I'm going to send it to, I got a couple guys who are this, freak out about everything they're going to be all over this immediately when yeah. you when you say fix a device what does that mean what do you, do you put something in it yeah i mean i left my phone in the other yeah. room but i can grab it if you want to see it but literally it's just 
it's different than the personal protection I showed you, but yeah. similar idea. Yeah. Some of the products have a different blend of material, but it's just material. It's in a rectangle chip that, um, how if thin is, how thin is it? Pretty thin. I mean, it's not like a sticker. There's a lot of companies selling like hologram stickers. Yeah. The majority of them are using man-made frequencies, which don't work. Yeah. Um, some of them are using some natural materials, but like they're using the equivalent of like a little bit of sawdust material. Right. So they're, they're, even if they are using natural materials, it's not scientifically tested. So it's not the potent stuff. And they're just using a tiny amount, which isn't going to do anything real, not anything effective. Yeah. So anyways, it's definitely significantly more, but with a flexible case, it fits inside. Well, if it's a very hard, rigid case, it can be stuck on the outside. Yeah. What I like better than that is like some otter boxes or some cases have a hard, rigid case. Then you can put the, the chip on that and then a soft case over it. But if it's a soft case, it's not going to transmit through the case well. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's going to be because there's a lot of air in a soft, flexible thing. There's like it, 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 it doesn't transmit the field as well through it. Um, or especially for like a lot of the new iPhones, um, there's usually even the silicone models tend to have like a hard layer of plastic going yeah. through the case. So in those ones, what I found works best is there's some wall, some versions that have a super thin fabric wallet on the case. It doesn't even have like a clip, but it's basically, you can just slip it right in between that and it just works perfect like that too. So anyways, a millimeter, a couple millimeters thick. How thick would you say the, yeah, I mean, it's like maybe a 16th of an inch. I mean, it's okay. not a lot, not too much. but yeah. So I should definitely put this on like my kid's iPad that he's freaking for glued sure. to for hours. Yeah. So like with an iPad, laptop, tablet, it's two smaller ones. Cause like on a laptop, they go in the front bottom corner. So they're, it's split into two. That way it'll be balanced still when it sits down, they have to go on the front and bottom quarters. That's where it works the best. So anyways, yeah, there's just different devices for different applications, but it's all using the same type of technology, the same type of harmonizing field. But basically, because the materials are scientifically tested, you know, we know if you have this amount of material of this intensity of field, it's enough to fix a phone. You know, it's enough to fix the 5G phone. If you have this amount of material of this intensity of field, it's enough to fix a router. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's how you can consistently and reliably create a strong enough field that it's going to do what it needs to do. And then for personal protection for a house, that's where there's more variation. You know, a house, depending on the square footage, if it has yeah. solar, those types of variables. For a person, part of its body size, I mean, like a, a little kid's going to need less than an adult, but a lot of it isn't body size. A lot of it is how sensitive is that individual. Uh, the more compromised a person's system is mm. uh, overall, then you know the less likely it's going to be able to cope with the the radiation stress on their nervous system in their body and then some people are just like really really sensitive you know like in ayurvedic medicine it's known yeah. as like a vata body type but some people are really sensitive to smells they're really sensitive to food they're really sensitive to other people's energy and emotions and they're really sensitive to EMF. So people like that are going to need more personal protection than your average person. And you had said kind of like people that are, let's be frank, completely unhealthy. That's going to be. Generally speaking, there's going to be a higher likelihood that they're going to be more vulnerable to it. And you said that the cell phone tower that went up in your neighborhood. You yeah. Said. Yeah. So let's go to that. So, I mean, at that point, with that. we had already remediated our home. Yeah. I talked about the story of how, like, I, you know, I wasn't sleeping as good. We remediated our home immediately. Me and my wife started waking up more energized wow. and more refreshed wow. like would be normal. Um, so then some period after that, this was about five years ago that this happened. But all of a sudden, 
when we went up to the upstairs of our house, because we have a two-story house, within less than a half hour of going upstairs, my wife, has, who has no history of headaches, no history of any kind of neurological issues, all of a sudden, like she started complaining that her shoulders and neck were getting tight. And then she developed this really severe, what she describes as waves of vibration going through her brain from like the suboccipital area in the back of her head through her brain to behind her eyes. And she said, literally, it felt like somebody was like banging a drum inside of her head. She said it wasn't pain, but a really intense vibration that was really uncomfortable and really distressing, really disturbing. It was so bad that like she would sit on her bed and just bury her face in her hands. She could barely talk. Um, she would have tears coming down her face. And when I would tell her to look at me, like with her eyes closed, I could see behind her eyelids nystagmus. Her eyes were just oscillating yeah. left and right, yeah. like hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times a minute. I mean, just uncontrollably. And, and she couldn't do anything about it. It was so bad. She couldn't tuck our kids into bed. And so, um, anyways, this happened three nights in a row in hindsight, I was kicking myself. But by the third night I was like, this has to be EMF. You know, at first I didn't suspect it because our house was already remediated. Yeah. Right. So, but with the 5g rollout, when they put a 5g tower in, in our neighborhood, remember the scales example, when I, when I balanced my home prior to that, I, it wasn't with the addition of all that radiation that coming from a 5g tower less than a block away. Does that make sense? Yep. So now the amount of harmonizing field going through my house wasn't enough to stabilize all that energy when it smashed into our home. Wow. And then the the other part of that is the reason it happened every night when we went upstairs is because the tower's like on the other side of a hillside. So for our bottom level, a lot of that energy is being absorbed by the hillside it goes through. In the second story, there's only one house in between the tower and our second story. So when we would go upstairs, the second story was getting hit with a lot more of the energy. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. Wow. So by the third night, though, I was like, this has to be EMF. So we did testing on her. She was testing. It was EMF. She was absolutely in the stress response I described. And when we tested our house, our house was testing that it wasn't remediated anymore. We needed more harmonizing fields. So I went outside. I got material. I attached it to the electrical circuit. You know, shortly, like within an hour after the, all the symptoms went away. Good and God. that was, you know, that was five years ago. Five years so ago. So we're still in the same house. You know, if I couldn't fix it, we would have moved a long time ago, right? Yeah. But you remember I was saying, so do, do, when that happened, you know, the, it was so extreme that the next day we actually went to the ER, even though all the symptoms went away shortly after we upgraded it. And even all the testing was testing, it was just a reaction to the EMF, but it was so extreme. Like we went to the ER and we ended up uh, getting an MRI of her brain to make sure there was nothing organic going on. Part of the reason for that actually is because less than six months before that, there's a boutique gym in PB that we used to work out in. And one of the trainers there, um, beautiful, really sweet, amazing young woman, you know, from Brazil in her early thirties, super healthy, super fit, emotionally optimistic, vibrant young woman. And less than six months before that, um, she had actually collapsed and had a huge grandma seizure during a class, no history of headaches, no history of seizures. Afterwards she was unconscious. So they called 911, took her to the ER scanned her brain. She had a huge stage three glioblastoma tumor above her left temple. She's left-handed where she always held her cell phone. Wow. So anyways, that was really fresh in our mind. So when this happened to my wife and the symptoms were it. so extreme, we were like, okay, even though it's testing, it's all EMF related, even though all your symptoms are gone now, 
let's just go make sure, you know, that was scary. So thank God everything was fine. It was just the way, you know, her body was reacting to the EMFs. But again, that was more than five years ago. So now did, did, did you, did you go to the, all the neighbors and say, Hey, did you do that? Like, I mean, think about all the neighbors that are on your program here. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, Maybe I should, but a lot of people, it's like if people aren't ready to hear yeah. information, you're psycho. You know, they think you're nuts, and there's too much cognitive dissonance if they if they haven't been introduced to things where they're ready to accept that information. You know what I mean? I mean that's what we've seen with COVID, right? Exactly. I mean, it's been a process where people have to see over and over and over again for a lot of people before they can actually start to think for themselves instead of you know, what they've been programmed to believe and that they accept is just fact, even though it's just what they've been told, you yeah. know, so. Uh, Brent, this has been unbelievable, bro. Leave me with one pearl for the audience. Give me one pearl. You, I, I love that you said that you're on, you're on a mission. Uh, give me your mission again in life. Like what's driving you every day? Give me that mission one more time of just why you do what you do. Um, let's leave it with, let's leave everybody with some inspirational words here. I mean, again, in terms of like professionally, you know, I'm all about helping people feel, feel their best, perform their best. You know, the way my, the reason my practice is called Thrive Body and Soul, because that's not just a physical thing. It's also a mental, emotional thing and a spiritual thing. So, you know, when you, when you bring everything into, a, into alignment and into congruence with how we're designed to function and how we're designed to live, that's where you actually optimize how you feel, how you perform and the impact that you're able to deliver with what your mission is. You know, and really, I believe ultimately that comes back to like the way we're actually designed, you know, the way the modern world is set up. So many things are set up to actually disrupt the way we're designed to function. You know, like super new research shows that if you look at screens between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., it decreases dopamine production in your brain, which dopamine is what makes you feel motivated and makes you feel good. That's what makes people get addicted to technology because like when you're on social media, it gives you dopamine dumps. That's why it's so addictive, right? It's designed, they use algorithms to cause you to become addicted to those dopamine dumps. But when you do it in between that time period, it actually suppresses the dopamine production, which will actually make you feel less motivated and make you feel more discouraged, right? So there's so, it's just like one example, but there's so many ways that you know, the way we eat, the what we're feeding on for entertainment, so many things are disrupting with the way our body's designed to function, where, you know, like if you get up at the same time every morning, if you get direct sunlight in your eyes in the early part of the morning, all these things will cause your body to release hormones that give you motivation, give you energy, give you drive, make you feel emotionally well. But things are being set up that dismantle the way we're designed to function and then the solution is offered largely with like, here, use these pharmaceuticals, use these things to make you feel the way that your desi- your body will make your body feel that way on its own once you learn how to tap into the way it's designed to work. And tell everybody, you so you do everything, man. You're holistic, uh, like uh, healing. Give me, give me, give me, wrap up your practice and then we'll finish on that. Uh, like how you yeah. can help people that are listening. Because you you're gonna have people that are gonna be like, you know what, I'm contacting this guy, I need help. Yeah, not I mean, just EMF. Yeah, I mean the EMF part is where we're really focused on like educating and empowering people because like almost no one knows how to do it right. right, and it's such a huge thing for everybody and for everything. And once you do it, it's going to help everything else. You know, I always say you can eat good food, you can exercise, you can take supplements, but if you're getting 
smashed with all this radiation 24 seven. It's like pulling, pouring water into a barrel full of holes. So much of what you're trying to do is mitigate the harm that's coming from all this energy yeah. that's disrupting our system 24 seven. So once you do this, you can actually get the results you're supposed to out of all the other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I also, I also absolutely help with like nutrition, like functional style, getting at root cause of things, you know, supporting cellular energy, supporting detox organs, opening the detox pathways, clearing environmental toxins, clearing chemicals, getting rid of parasites and chronic pathogens. You know, the, the real root causes that are causing a person's body to malfunction. And then with the EMF, neutralizing the stress to our nervous system, to our immune system, you know, it disrupts um, our endocrine system. So hormonally taking this, this disruptor to like every system in our body and neutralizing that so that our body can start to function and heal the way it's supposed to, because you're getting rid of this external interference. <sighs> Dude, amazing. Brent Williams, EMF Pro, Thrive Body and Soul, right? Yeah. Real Deal Talk. This was amazing. Get ready for the calls because they're coming in on this one, bro. Appreciate you. I appreciate you, That's Jamie. a wrap. Real Deal Talk. Let's go. Uh.